Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me on the Vigilance Press podcast. This is James Dossie, owner and publisher of Vigilance Press, and tonight we have an all-star panel of writers. Uh, we've got some fantastic people. We're going to talk about uh, some upcoming Vigilance Press projects uh, with everybody here, and we're also going to uh, go for some some reader questions that I've had, uh, some, some feedback questions from people. We're going to see how many of these we can cover. Some of them are pretty in-depth, though, so we might get to, with a round robin. I know... I know all of us will probably have opinions on a lot of these, so yep. um, we'll, we'll we'll get into that. But um, let me start by introducing. Um, let me start with Jack Norris. Jack, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. How's everybody out there in podcast land? Um. <laughs> I hope we're all doing fine. I know I'm. Yeah. I'm doing great. But um, uh, Jack has. Uh, we've just published uh, your your most recent offering, Black Chapter, yep. and I'll talk a little bit more about that in, in the announcements. But um, for people who haven't heard of Jack before, he's worked on um, the Hero's Journey series of adventures for Mutants and Masterminds, as well as the Threat Reports, uh, the DC Adventures um, books, and uh, so many other things. Oh, and of course, Cam Banks asked me to mention uh, <laughs> Marvel Heroic Roleplaying, yeah. which you've worked on as well. Yeah, uh, thirty-two books currently in in in, in counting. Because uh, I actually had to do my publish. I updated my publishing credits today. That's not something I just carry around. I'm not quite that area. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, and moving along, um, this is, I believe, his second appearance on our podcast. This is Aaron Sullivan. Aaron, how you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's always nice to have you on board. Um, Aaron's also well known for working on a lot of the same things I just mentioned with Jack. <laughs> um, you guys, have... Jack, Jack, and I have put up with each other quite often. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, including, uh, I believe you worked on DC Adventures as well, um, and including the upcoming Universe book, right? Yep. And uh, yep. you've, you've also books in the Universe book. Mm-hmm. And you've also got uh, one of the chapters for the Hero's Journey is your name on it, as well as a lot of the a lot of the characters from the Threat Reports. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, um, pe- I, I people, be- what, what other up. games? What other games will people know you from in addition to Mutants and Masterminds? Uh, Marvel uh, role playing. Um, I worked on the core book and then uh, the Civil War stuff and the Annihilation stuff that's upcoming. Awesome. Which can't come out soon enough, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And that voice coming from the from the shadows there, I believe that was Rick Jones. Rick, how you doing today? Oh, I'm just fine. Yeah, all right. Well, you know, when everybody else steps back, that's called volunteering. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you've you've uh, you've done several manuscripts. Or you've worked on a couple of manuscripts for us so far, but uh, you're also um, not. Un- inexperienced with uh, role-playing games. What? What? Uh, besides Vigilance Press, who else have you worked for? Um, mostly White Wolf. I worked on uh, the pulp game Adventure, mm-hmm. and I did a lot of uh, Werewolf, both Apocalypse and Forsaken. Mm-hmm. I had no idea you worked on Adventure. I love that game. Oh, Adventure is amazing. Yeah. Still my favorite pulp game. Yep. Well, I think we heard uh, Jason's voice in there, so let me go ahead and invite Jason to step forward. Jason Tondro, also known as Dr. Comics. How are you doing tonight? Uh, I have two words for you. Finals week. So <laughs> that, that's how I'm doing right now. Um, uh, but uh, I'm delighted to be here. 
fantastic. Well, we're, I'm so glad you could take time out of your finals week to, <laughs> to jump in with us. Do you have school tomorrow too? No, no, no. The weekend is uh, grading. Okay, okay. Well, that's still work. Um, yeah. But, you know, at least you, you can kind of do it on your own pace, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So um, since Jason's the last person I've introduced, let's start with Jason on, on some of the upcoming projects. Actually, let me make some quick announcements first, and then I'll jump back to Jason. Sure. Um, some announcements coming up. Uh, for those of you who have expressed interest in wanting to either play with us um, on the podcast or, or join with us on a Skype game, I'm actually, uh, you actually have the opportunity. InfernoCon 8 is coming up, and I'll be running a game session um, Saturday, December 15th. So if you want to go to inferno.net, and there's no E, it's I-N-F-R-N-O dot net, you can, um, you can register and, and uh, go, go to InfernoCon 8's um, list of games, and you'll see uh, the Vigilance Press Presents as one of the entries. Uh, as of the recording of this podcast, we have four open seats, and it'll be a demo session where you guys will get to play using the Challengers characters, and I'll be uh, running a four-hour session. So this will be a big, you know, full-length uh, kind of adventure session compared to the uh, the quick demo sessions we, we ran at uh, the, the EtherCon. So this is... An online con, we welcome any and all people who are interested in Mutants and Masterminds to jump in there and try to set up. And do do try, do try do have Skype working, though. I do plan mm-hmm. to use Skype to record the podcast and or record the, uh, the adventure, and I may use it for a podcast material coming up. So um, please keep that in mind, is that we'll be using Skype for the audio for the game. Um, so if you don't have Skype or Skype doesn't work for you or something, um, please leave a seat for somebody else. But uh, we, we do welcome everybody who's interested and has Skype and uh, would like to partic- participate. You can go to inferno.net and sign up. Um, obviously, it's first come, first serve. But, uh, you know, anybody who shows up is is welcome. So that's... When is that, that again? What's this? Oh, sorry. Oh, the one is that again? I was just wondering. Uh, that's um, December 15th. Okay, so I will be next weekend. I, next Saturday. I will be I will be there, but I will not quite be back again, so I probably won't make the con. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, the Hobbits yeah. is coming out. Yeah, but uh, we have um, uh, see what other announcements. We just released Black Chapter, which is the second in our Due Vigilance books. Um, this is a pseudo sequel. Well, I guess you'd call it a direct sequel. It's it's more of a pseudo sequel though, but to um, the Octoberman, which was our first mm. project, and this time we actually didn't do any funny spelling with Black Chapter, so you should be it should be a lot easier for people to find it. <laughs> like with, the, with the Octoberman, we used a K instead of the C because I was trying to be fancy, and I think people may have had little trouble trying to find the Octoberman on Amazon <laughs> because yeah. as a result. But if you look for do vigilance, D U E, new word vigilance. Um, you should find both of those products popping up on on Amazon now, and we've actually lowered the price on the Octobermen uh, to celebrate the arrival of the new book. Um, so you can get a special new price on the Octobermen, and you can you can also find direct links to the Create Space um, uh, store as well on the um, uh, on the Vigilance Press website. So if you go to our, our recent blog posts. Uh, you'll see those links that go directly to the CreateSpace if you want to buy it directly from there. 
Which, you know, makes James a happy person, because that's <laughs> one less middleman between me and, and, you know, actually the money. But the price is going to be the same for you. So if Amazon is a better bet for you guys, feel free to get it from Amazon. They're also all available as PDFs from RPG Now. Um, the uh, uh, We don't have plans in the near future to do the print-on-demand with RPG Now until... Um, until we get some other PDFs out there, we're trying to trying to work a little more fast to to get some more projects out. And the next project out, the next project that's currently in layout right now, is actually the long-awaited Metas project. Um, this is a project that began actually before I took over Vigilance Press, and a lot of people from the Atomic Think Tank decided that they would like to have uh, professional artwork for their characters and to get to see their characters laid out on in a nice format. And uh, through the trials and tribulations of the past year, we've managed to finally get the first issue ready to go. So you guys who have been waiting um, to see your characters, the first selection of the, f uh, the first 30 characters will be in there. And uh, that also includes a, an article at the beginning uh, written by Jack Norris on, um, you know, for those of you who are like, ah, bah, I don't need a bunch of heroes for my setting. Well, guess what? There's an article in there that shows you how to run a villains campaign. Um, so you can uh, use the quote-unquote heroes in the book as villains or uh, antagonists for your heroes. So uh, for your protagonists, which are the villains. So if you want to run something like Suicide Squad or... Um, couple of different things that'll be in in that book so the first issue so James. looking forward to that um some great artwork in there by uh alex williamson and coloring by dan hauser and denise jones so some great stuff um and then right after that we've got six gun the cover of that is being colored as we speak and the color for that the cover for that is amazing yes uh, yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the background on my phone and my laptop. And... You think about getting tattooed on your firstborn child. You know, that, I get that it. Was, that was the, coo uh, that was the coolest. To that. <laughs> We've had some really good reviews so far on Black Chapter, but one of the one of the best compliments I've had from one of our fans is that um, one of our fans basically told me, "Yeah, the cover to Black Chapter is now the background on my cell phone." Yeah, I was that like, was oh, pretty that's so cool. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, the um, the cover for Six Gun is looking fantastic, um, oh. and uh, I'm I'm really pleased with Alex's work on that. He did a great job. He did all the interior illustrations for that book, and um, the coloring is uh, a mix between Yad Mingwei, uh, one of my friends uh, here in Atlanta, and Denise Jones. So, you guys who are interested in uh, the artwork side of things will get to know I, I can you know if you if you're interested i can i can link you to uh some of yad's works online or or uh certainly denise's DeviantArt page um but uh once we get those out of the way then finally we get around to jason tondro's project which has been uh sitting in the incubator for a couple months now <laughs> uh the forgotten five which i swear i have not forgotten yeah, title <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, the artwork for that is mostly done. Um, Jesse Justice is doing all the artwork for that, and people yeah. might oh. know him uh, from some of the artwork he's he's done uh, on the Atomic Think Tank. But uh, um, he's he's actually a professional designer um, and instructor for uh, Photoshop and Illustrator and and other projects. So he's 
uh, he's got a very nice uh, kind of Kirby-esque style going for that book, which was which was I thought really appropriate. Jeff, Jeffy also designs wrestling belts, right? Is that correct? Yes, yes. He, if yes. anybody's interested in uh, wrestling, um, I think uh, at least one of the Hardy Boys um, uh, sports I'll, one of his belts. I will. Yeah, I will say that like I recently saw on Facebook, and probably a few months ago now. Um, you know, I, I watched wrestling, you know, years ago. I don't really watch it these days. Um, but you know, I've seen you know enough of it to see what the various belts look like. Um, they actually actually posted a photo of one of the ones he designed. I was like, wow. I yeah. mean, he really, he really. I mean, I mean, yeah, it's a belt. It's a wrestling belt. But like, I guess he, um, the guy who it might have been for Jeff Hardy actually, he wanted something more sort of extreme and sort of more like you know scary and sinister looking. And I was like, that looks like something that like Rob Zombie wears at a concert. That thing <laughs> was. It was go- it was great, and it was just it, it's it's just by. Well, he, I, yeah, know the, that, that, I know the one that he did for. Um... I can't remember which of the Hardy Boys it was, but uh, another one, it was like the Enigmatic Champion or something, I think it's called, mm-hmm. uh, is the name of the belt. And it actually it actually lights up uh, the eyes. <laughs> the eyes actually glow. It has LEDs in it. And uh, I just thought that was too cool. <laughs> but... Um, so Jason, yes. uh, you're, you've got that coming up, which we're really excited to finally get out into people's hands because I think people will really dig it. And um, we also have uh, some more big news coming up from you um, in uh, that, that also kind of ties into the kind of news of the week. Um, and I think anybody who's paying attention to role-playing games at all has probably heard about uh, the um, the Kickstarter for Fate by now, Fate Core. Yep. Yep. Uh, which has taken off like a rocket. Last I checked, it had passed the hundred thousand dollar mark, and it's only oh, yeah, three. It's, it's been exploding. It's only two and a half days in. Mm. It's not even three days in. I think yeah. at this point. So, holy moly! <laughs> yeah, yeah. And well, I think their really original goal was three because it, it it resolves. Um, it's gonna. Um, you know, we've always been wanting to put our Arthur lives uh, in a, a second edition that is a game system that people actually play and. Um, <laughs> And we've been wanting to do this in such a way that we wouldn't have to do it again. That right. that is, we wanted to pick a system that had some staying power and that wasn't um, that that. Well, you know, we knew that that fate was being revised. It's been in. You know, we've been anybody that's been reading the fate blog knew that Fred and the others were working on this for some time, and uh, and so now that the revision is out and they've given us a couple of months so that you can they've released the PDF to everybody who's kicked in. And I think I'm on the hook for thirty bucks, um, but but uh, they've given us the PDF now, so we can't publish anything, but we can start writing. Mm-hmm. So I've mm-hmm. taken, yeah. So I've been I've been very happy to see that most of the character design elements are the same. They tinkered with the system a little bit, and they changed some terminology, and they they clarified a lot in terms of how the rules are put forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as I'm sure our listeners can attest and as the people that are on the panel we've already been talking about, fate can be a very intimidating project when you put it in front of a bunch of players. Um, yep. A lot of the, the rule books are either, either they're A, enormous phone books um, that are gorgeous but, but um, really hard to digest and very intimidating, very imposing books, mm-hmm. or they're sort of stripped down, super lean, um, layout, no art kind of kind of projects and um neither one of those are very good for introducing new players to the game um so anyway so now we've got we've got a a new set of rules and we have a little bit of lead time and um 
and it looks to me like the the, uh, the adaptation from Arthur Lives to Fate is going to be pretty smooth, actually. Yeah, I'm very excited about the uh, the getting getting that that gear turning again because we had some some false starts on it, but. Um, you know, really, the the artists I've spoken to that uh, worked on the original run of artwork that we were yep. using to kind of build up, they're mm. all still excited about it. So really happy oh, yeah. to. Uh, Hannah is uh, definitely excited. I'm, yeah, because well, I'm friends with one of the artists, and uh, she's definitely excited. So yeah, Hannah okay. Hannah is one of the ones that um, I she kind of brought a. It, it was kind of interesting because between Hannah. Susan and Denise, the three yeah. pieces of artwork, you definitely had three artists with different styles. Yeah. And mm-hmm. what Hana brings to it is a really nice kind of classical art style yeah. that um I think I think kind of balances out mm. um you know, and then, then you, you, you have kind of a what I think of as, as a really pleasant storybook style for mm-hmm. Susan stuff. And then you have kind of a little bit more of like an anime slash uh, right. Uh, comic book style with Denise, and I think between the three of those, the the there's going to be a lot of color on the yeah. page, and it's and it's going to be really nice and pleasing to look to look at. It's not going to be, you know, all this glaring, you know, yeah. juxtaposition of styles. I think I think the styles going from one to another, you'll have different illustration styles, but the color uh, it, that that the that the girls use is mm. is all really nice, and 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 I think will work well together. So I'm really looking oh. forward to. Going into layout with that one. Having yeah. having run Arthur Lives in a number of different playtest campaigns over the years, the number one danger of starting an Arthur Lives campaign is that the players think they all have to be guys with swords riding motorcycles. Right. <laughs> you know, they, they they have this sort of very limited idea of what a knight in the modern era is, and so by using all of these wonderful artists, and they're all so talented, I, I just I can't I can't tell you how. Lucky I feel to be working on this with these people. They they're gonna show they're gonna totally open that up. You know the mm. the, the new player is gonna open up this book and they're gonna see all of these potential characters that why that are so broad in terms of what you can play and the spectrum is gonna be so different. And that's exactly what the project needs for a new player. It's gonna be perfect. Yeah, I really loved. Um, you know, I mean, when when I sat down and was flipping through uh, the original. Arthur Lives, which is still out there. You can, you guys, if you're interested, you can pick up the original version yeah. um, uh, for True 20. Yeah. It's still available mm-hmm. from Vigilance Press from our RPG Now store um, at, a, at a pretty steal of a price, too, considering yeah, you know, how mm-hmm. big the project is. But all of the artwork in there was clip art just because of the uh, the resources that Vigilance had at the time. And, yeah. um, you know, the uh, the look of it is very much this kind of Street thugs slash, yeah, you know, modern fantasy kind of uh, thing where where all the the characters are these these kids with you know, baseball bats and swords and things. Yeah, and um, it just I mean uh, you know the artwork is high quality. Don't get me wrong, it's good stuff, but I just don't think it told the story that uh, Jason was trying to tell. And uh, so. When you guys pick up the uh, the new Arthur Lives books, it's going to tell a completely different story visually. I think you guys will really dig it. Cool. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Um, going into uh, next year, we're going to get so that will be our first major uh, Fate project. But um, we're we're in the process now of behind the scenes, kind of talking about some other ideas for maybe some smaller forays into Fate to just kind of let people know. 
we're we're there and we're we're talking about it, but uh, we don't have anything specific to announce there yet. Um, James, but, can I say one last thing about this. Sure. You uh, you you have already mentioned that um, you might have some openings in a podcast or a sample play session. I just want to note that I want to try and play test some some Arthur lives or just some generic fate. Uh, and I don't know. Can you put out? A, can we recruit from the fans for that or? Uh, I think I think uh, actually we should talk to Tali about that when we have a chance to okay. get Tali on board because um, he's he's actually a um, I guess I I want to use old you know like mucking terms like whiz but uh, yeah um, he's he's like a, 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 a he's one of these guys that kind of helps people get to know the the layout of Inferno.net and um, and there's a really big community of gamers there that we could we could easily you know, just post a game and, and yeah. try to get people in on it. And uh, Tali's been really good about promoting his games and, and helping me figure out how to use the gaming table and stuff like that. So um, I think I think definitely we can uh, bring it together. So if people are interested, definitely you can either message me at uh, Inferno.net or leave a comment here or, um, you know, send me an email. Uh, you can send me an email at uh, james at jamesdossie.com so um aside from that we are let's see we've got uh, the forgotten five coming up for jason oh and uh, we are also in the we are currently in developing we don't really have a manuscript started yet but we are developing the uh the plan for the uh, field guide to super villains yeah uh, for the fans of the field guide to superheroes i think you'll really dig this but uh we're currently still developing those ideas and uh don't can't really say anything more than just the title right now, but I wanted to get that out there into people's ears and, and kind of get their responses to that because um, I'm looking forward to it. But we have another big project that's supervillain-oriented as well to talk about with the rest of our authors. So. <laughs> Man, uh, it's been so hard not to talk about this one because it came together so fast. I mean, that, this was the crazy part. Um, but uh, let me... Make sure I'm not missing any announcements here. So we got the InfernoCon. Everybody knows about that. Uh, and um, everybody knows to go buy Black Chapter and support Vigilance Press. Yep. And, and, you know, tell Jack Norris you love him. Um, and Alex Williamson, because he needs yep. some love right now, too. Um, yeah, Alex is Alex is, uh, Alex is a good dude. He could definitely... He's having a, having a shaky time of it. So we're pulling for you, dude. I hope you're yep. doing all right. Um, um, so. But, uh, yeah, it was kind of funny. Um, I, ha- I have to say that... Uh, one of my big kicks was um, I had a some some artwork being commissioned, and it was from a prof- professional artist, and he was basically looking through some of the Vigilance Press characters because I said, oh, you you know, he's like, well, you know, you, I could do one of my characters or I could do one of yours. I'm like, you know, well, whichever you want. And he goes, let me see, draw something I haven't drawn before. And I said, okay, well, I showed him the the. Uh, the Vigilance Press Galleries, and he came back and he went, I really like Sister Hyde. <laughs> and I was like, cool, that's from Black Chapter. Can uh, so, I say, blah, ha, ha. So, um, anyway, but, uh, and, and that artwork was by originally by Denise Jones, so thanks to Denise mm-hmm. for, for Sister Hyde, because yeah. I really thought she came out well. She she was actually, she was a character that I, I didn't have a clear visual picture of, except very generally. And the art was just like I was like, "Yep, that's good." Like that was, I mean, and I said that, and I said that mean like good enough. I mean that like you know, 
talking to a lot of the artists, and actually, that's one of the things I love about. Um, actually, um, I don't even we've mentioned. Have we mentioned uh, the World War II base project yet? So, can I like reference that, or is that something we haven't we can, talked we about? We can we can reference that. I don't think we've talked okay. about it yet. I, I, I'm uh, okay. trying to remember There's a, now. There's a book we're doing called uh, The Beta Men, which is going to be a World War II based, like, sort of sci fi World War II book. And, um, no, you know what? I have mentioned uh, it because I've shown people okay. the cover art. Right. And it's going to be out for icons and it's going to be out for uh, some masterminds. It's got a gorgeous piece of cover art. I mean, just seriously, wow. And um, Doug Smith. But uh, not, no, I don't think, other than James, I'm not sure anybody other than me has seen Alex Williams's. Uh, concept uh or, or early sketches for the characters which came out of a phone call between alex and myself that we basically james was like hey do you want to just call him and i said sure i'll give that a shot you know i've talked to an artist directly in a while i usually just write some notes and um you know we started talking and of course as per usual a lot of conversation with me they go on and on and on um <laughs> but uh big surprise and everybody's shocked please try to act surprised um, verbosity yeah. <laughs> and um <laughs> But, you know, it's, we're talking about this, and it was just like, you know, I'm talking to Alex, and it's just, you know, he's an artist, yes, but he's very well-read, and he's very, like, he's got a wonderful depth of media knowledge and genre knowledge and understanding. And so, you know, when I say things like, kind of want a guy who's, like, in this old World War II sort of commander, but he's, like, one of the younger guys, so not, like, a general, but, like, a, you know, a colonel or whatever, a little bit of Brad Pitt from Inglorious Bastards, but I also want to reference those old movies. And he said, so, like, you know, how much do you love Lee Marvin? And I was like, I love Lee Marvin. <laughs> and so that was, like, and then that leads to, you know, our, a 20-minute, a you know, side conversation about old war movies. But at the end of it, it comes out, you know, I, we, I see, the, I see the, the, the piece that he sends, and I'm like, uh, oh my god, that's amazing! You know, and Alex is definitely, and a lot of the artists that we're working with have that ability. That's just so fantastic to watch because you just you you throw something out to them and you say, "I kind of want a guy that looks like this," and they come back and say, "Yeah, you know, I kept this stuff. I got rid of this thing because it doesn't really work visually, and here's why." And then you look at what they're going and like, "Yeah, that's just." I mean, you either say, "You know, can we can we ch- tweak it?" slightly like just because there's some little bit that you just you know really was well, like you wrote on the page you want to come out but more often than not that's not even required and regardless it's always this like oh wow you yeah. know reaction have to just be like oh that's so pretty and it looks so nice and you know just the poses too actually that's the thing i really love about alex is his poses are amazing yeah um one thing one thing i actually had to to you know the the only time i think during the course of i think i think there have been two kind of things that i that i asked him to to Maybe three. We, he, he's done a lot of artwork for us, but, you know, where he'd turn in a sketch and I'd say, well, you know, that's really great, but we need to change everything. And it's really usually, <laughs> um, but it, but it's, it's, it's most of the time it's like, it's kind of struggling against his creative nature because he's so good at bringing new elements to it. And as mm. you're talking about his poses, the original illustration that he'd sketched up for um, the Mad Monk for Black Chapter mm. He had him like curled up on the floor, like you know, it, it was a really powerful pose. I mean, it really told right. the story of the character. But I'm like, yeah, but it's got to be a standee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I will say that I will, I will say that if necessary, I will rewrite my Dash Freeman entry to make room for the art for that. Um, that was that was one. I was looking at that going, oh, oh my god, you you did exactly what I said that I didn't even know I was saying. Um, so yeah, that was, it was fantastic. So, uh, yeah, Alex is, Alex is a good dude. Nice guy, real talented, just easy to work with, you know, like all the folks. I, highly re- I highly recommend him if you can get a hold of him and, and if he's got time to fit you into his schedule and you're looking if for you art, uh, if you can find him, if you're lucky enough, you know, maybe you can hire the A-team. <laughs> 
But um, so um, moving right along, let me get the other guys into the conversation here, and Jason yep. can kind of play our uh, angels advocate since he he's he's actually a little bit out of the loop. But he's heard the title, but that's it. Um, so he can he can help me by asking some good you know viewer perspective questions here. Um, you can kind of play co-host. Sure. Um, so we are announcing an upcoming project called Rogues, Rivals, and Renegades. And among the writers on this project, actually the, the people doing the bulk of the work are all here. We've got Jack, Aaron, and Rick have all contributed a tremendous amount of uh, work. It's going to be a villain's book. It's going to have roughly 50 characters. Um, give or take a few, depending on the circumstances going towards the, the end of the publication. Basically, what we're planning to do is, towards the end of the process, we're going to find a way to involve the uh, audience and actually add some characters based on audience participation. So it's actually going to tie into the metas book in, in a way where it's, we're actually kind of using, we're fleshing out the metas backstory and creating the organization that kind of tracks all these different metahumans. But the main theme behind Rogues, Rivals, and Renegades is that these villains will all be the enemy for your player characters. I mean, they're basically designed with the idea that each of them will, you know, have some, in some way, make it personal. So, I mean, they're perfect for Rogues Gallery characters. You'll see some Renegades that'll be less overtly villainous, but probably kind of outside the law, kind of, um, you know, troublemakers. And then you'll have rivals, which will actually be, on the face of them, they're, they're essentially heroic characters, um, but there's something about the character which will create trouble between you and your players from time to time, and, or between the character and your players. So... Um, Wanted to thank everybody. Um, let me start with Rick, and I'm going to pick on you first because you've been quiet. Um, okay. <laughs> Rick, who, who's um, of, of the characters you've submitted so far? Pick one. Which which one uh, did you want to talk about tonight? Well, uh, I guess the one I would pick to talk about is um, um, the one I'm actually most excited to see the art for, which is. Uh, TikTok, the Clockwork Kid. Yeah, you kept uh, calling you this project. You kept calling this project TikTok on Facebook. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the idea was that, uh, like in a lot of superheroic universes, the Old West had its own heroic age, and that uh, there was a a Wild Wild West type mad scientist who made a bunch of clockwork robots Cow, well, not cowboys, but cowboy villains. And uh, um, after the the villain was defeated, uh, the you know the, the the evil scientist was defeated. The uh, the robots ended up like put on display in Wild Bill Hickok's Wild West show, and, right? Uh, and things like that. And that uh, they've kind of been in storage through the years. And uh, a, a steampunk enthusiast with a big pile of money bought them uh, and tinkered with them. And uh, TikTok, who was the leader of the gang, he was able to fix. And he forgot that these guys were programmed for evil. 
so uh, he's now on the loose and uh, yeah, being a a uh, a cowboy supervillain in a in the modern era with his robot horse and such, and uh, he's I, I just frankly I can't wait to see what he's going to look like because I have this image in my head, but uh, I'm sure that. Uh, whoever is going to be doing the art, if it's Alex or or someone else, it's going to be just gorgeous. Yeah, I believe I believe Alex is going to be doing the bulk of the art for this book. So sweet. Um, and uh, yeah. and if you've got uh, DC Adventures as well, he can team up with uh, like reanimated uh, stuffed Jonah Hex. So uh, there you, you go. Know. <laughs> and anybody and anybody who gets that, congratulations. And anybody who looks and goes, "What the hell are you talking about?" Yeah, it's fine. I get that all the time. Um, <laughs> Rick, I know what you mean, though, when you talk about the art. Sometimes it seems like we make these characters as dares to the artist, right? Like, <laughs> here's here's something impossible. I want you to draw it for me. Oh, and make it look cool. <laughs> I think that's one of the serious, serious perks is you, know, you, you write all this stuff, but then somebody with actual artistic talent takes your yeah. words and makes good yes. pictures, and you go, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How many yeah, characters? Draw something on a napkin and hope people get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rick, how many characters did you do for this book? Uh, I have done one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, <laughs> at least Count your toes now. eleven. Okay. <laughs> All your fingers in one toe. Okay. <laughs> well, so far, so far, uh, like yeah, I said, that's, be... there. There's. I, I would certainly be willing to throw more, uh, more out there, depending well, on like the audience participation. Side of I, have, mm. I have some questions about the book since you're asking me to ask questions. I have sure, some. absolutely. So, are there any villain teams in this book? There's one sure. team, and they're they're but they're they're a team of renegades. It better have seven members. No, <laughs> sorry. I'm trying to remember. Was it five? Uh, no, there are uh, there uh, are four. A, there are four because uh, they're held. They're they're well. They're I mean, I was very very briefly. Uh, while the characters are mostly solos, uh, we did kind of think there might be a use for like a wrecking crew style team where they don't necessarily have like a huge background. They're not going to need like a whole do vigilance to back them up or whatever, though I probably could write a do vigilance about them, but that's me. Um, <laughs> we have to rein my word count in all the time. Um, but, uh, but basically, um, the idea of having sort of a wrecking crew fearsome five for your, or fearsome, you know, fearsome frightful four vibe of these are basically guys who could surf solo. They also can surf together. Um, they have sort of a unifying concept, and uh, there's four of them, which gives them sort of a vaguely four horsemany sort of feel, though in a very different way. Um, and I don't know if we want to talk about them beyond that, but that's it. but there's only one team so far. So yeah, one uh, of the uh, one of the ideas, and this is actually from uh, Jack's intro to the book, is that, uh, and this is something that I kind of pushed for when we were creating the concepts, was that. Um, you know, I, I want this basically to be like a, a potpourri of villains where, like, the GM can flip through the book and go, you know what, I want to put this guy together with that guy and create my own villain team. Sure. And for the large part, it's really there based uh, to, to, to let the GM kind of go, you know, I've got this team of heroes over here. Yeah. And this villain would make a really good matchup for that hero. And then sure. over the course of the campaign pick out his favorite rogues and then spin them back in as like a team against the heroes. And then you've got the whole sinister six kind of thing going. Yeah. And then you can build the team during the campaign. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of, that was kind of the big, um, 
the big goal behind it and oh man some of these characters are so awesome <laughs> Um, but I love the clockwork kid. He was one of my favorites and I kind of knew you were going to pick him, but I was, I was curious to see which one you would pick. I would have been disappointed if he didn't, I would have had to like almost pick him and say, look, I didn't get him, but can I pick him? Um, (laughs) but, but but then, but then that sucks because that would suck because there's also, depending on what Aaron picks, there's a character that I, I would want to talk about if he doesn't pick him. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) So let's, let's go ahead and, uh, have Aaron, um, which one of the characters did you want to talk about tonight? Well, I'm assuming Jack wants to talk about Crypt Kicker. Um, oh, well, you know what? Actually, Crypt Kicker was not the thought, but you know what? That's fine because he is also the guy I would want to talk about. Uh, <laughs> my, my, question, my, my, my thought had a more philosophical bent, if you, uh, if you get my, my drift there. Uh, um, uh, uh, Zarathustra. Yeah. Okay, but either so which, one, because they're which, both Okay, awesome. we've got two names out there, but you have to pick one to talk about. Who do you want to talk oh, about, Aaron? Well, see, I wasn't actually going to talk about either one of those. I was going to mention Crypt Kicker. Because Jack and Rick and James all liked him, mm-hmm. but uh, the, the one that uh, that I've had the longest time, you know, bubbling around in my head was uh, Samuel, who is a crime lord with a few twists, and um, the inspiration for him goes back uh, all the way to Buffy when I was watching a few episodes of Buffy, and uh, um, it's I'm, I'm one of those weirdos that dissects things as I'm watching them. I, I know we're such a rare species I'm gonna nerd them. Um and I I'm watching her kick the crap out of, you know, all these different bad guys and she's looking around, she's saying work well done and, and I'm looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, you know what I see when I see this? I see a power vacuum. And mm-hmm. I, I got to think it's like, you know, if she had just had a little less righteousness, you know, she could have moved right on in and, and made her own throne. And so the the idea was that, you know, what if we had a, a hero type, a chosen type, and that doesn't always go well, who looked around and said, why am I barely living hand to mouth when the people I'm taking down, you know, have solid gold limousines uh, and, you know, hot and cold running money? Why, why don't I just move in once I take out all these people? Well, the and, beauty of this is, is all the superhero characters who have asked that exact question, right? I mean, uh-huh. how many of us can forget that scene? Remember the original Secret Wars when Spider-Man gets the gold notepad? You guys know the scene I'm talking about. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It took, took me a second, but yes, I do. When, when the Beyonder turns an entire building to gold, and the Kingpin mm. drives up his Cadillac, and one of the police security guards hands him six gold typewriters, and he mm. drives away with them. And Spider-Man's like, well, I just almost died trying to save these people. And the, and, and the Kingpin gets... A, a car full of gold out of it. What do I get? And he grabs this like steno pad notebook that was in mm. the trash can. Yeah, it, yeah, it's made out of solid gold. And now, mm. because the honor turns everything to gold, and he carries it around for like three issues, <laughs> agonizing over it uh, until finally he throws it in the East River because he's Spider-Man. But yeah. but your character Samuel says, "I'm keeping it." I'm. Um, he's 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 in the position, and he. He moves in. He takes over, you know, part of the occult underworld. He's like, I've taken out these guys, but, you know, they've still got all these minions and there's all these resources. You know, why not? I can keep my own hand on things and keep them from bothering too many people. I just get paid for it. And um, so he's a he's a corruption on a lot of hero types. And, and some of his powers, because um, he's tied to a, 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 well, a long line of mystical champions called the Order of St. George, his powers are a corruption of those, and he views himself as a corruptive influence in some cases. So it's like you know, one of his favorite power to use is 
an insidious, subtle uh, affliction, which basically corrupts the people he's dealing with. Yeah. And you know, other than that, he just sits there and the spider in his web. I I, yeah. I I gotta say, you know, I actually I knew I, I knew the basic concept of that character before, uh, which I thought was cool. Um, but now I've been listening to you explain it. Now I'm like super excited about him because <laughs> like that was like, that was just like, that was like, Oh, it's like, Oh, that's just so cool. Um, and it's yeah, also, it's I'm, also I'm thinking other... I got to use this guy now. <laughs> well, and I also, I also think it's something that the way a lot of us tend to make characters, you know, for a publication is sitting there thinking about it. And Aaron just, Aaron just did a fantastic job of detailing the process that sometimes happens where you sit there and you're watching something, you're thinking about something and you're going, well, what about blah? And then the next thing you know, you've got a character. And yeah. that was just, yeah, that was, wow. That was, I'm, I'm seriously like, I mean, don't be wrong. I still love Crypt Kicker and Zarathustra and I'm, <laughs> we talk about those at some point. Uh, but that was like, that character just, I, I said, I liked the idea before, but now I'm not hear, hearing him talk about it. I'm like, oh, that's just glorious. Um, <laughs> and see, I haven't even gotten into his, you know, the Sin Factory, which are his set of nightclubs that he owns. No. And he's got brothels hidden in them, run by a succubus tied to a mystical doll called Dolly Deville. And he's got uh, some gambling um, minions uh, who are Fortuna Mancers. He's got the entire thing covered. But mostly, it's the it's the the sitting back there in the web, just you know, basically turning other heroes when he can, because he doesn't believe in them anymore. Mm-hmm. He's been there. He's done that. He's like, it's uh, it's all just uh, it's all just a lie. You're just waiting for the chance to be me. Well, this, this yep. creates a neat opportunity for all kinds of campaigns where um, uh, the player characters are sort of turned evil, either singly or as a group. And, you know, they all get to be evil for one adventure, for example, before, uh, mm-hmm. and sort of play with that this for a while. an excuse for that. Yeah, well, yeah, he becomes kind of an Eclipso figure, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, what's, what's even better for role-playing fodder is when he doesn't get all of them. You know, right. so... You have you know some in the team who they're like, what do you mean murder is okay? Yeah. <laughs> when, when did this happen? I didn't get this memo. <laughs> yeah, we get Superman with the five o'clock shadow. Oh, <laughs> oh, don't bring that up. <laughs> yeah, he was a mean drunk. <laughs> I have a picture of Christopher Reeve in a badly laundered suit. That's not. I'm just taking too many mental images away with me tonight, guys. <laughs> You're welcome. Um... All right. So now, now, now to the prince of bad mental images, Jack. Um... <laughs> no, thank you. Well, it's true, though. Um, it is true. Um, well, I mean, I, come I, on. All I have to say have... is L'Enfant Terrible. Uh, well, Mr. Baron L'Enfant Terrible might have had some issues. Um, <laughs> thing. So anyway, that that was that was those that was a reference to the Octoberman. So um, I think I think it's kind of funny that uh, we kind of skirted around one of the other character types in Jason's question right there. But um, I was like, uh, I want to let Jack pick his own character rather than promote that one myself. So. Well, so, so what? So okay, go ahead. Well, which one were you thinking of? Because I'm actually kind of sitting here, kind of trying to. Well, he did. Know. He, he he mentioned the, uh, the a particular DC villain um, that I so. actually that I actually mentioned when I was pitching the character concept to you. Uh, uh, oh right, know? right, right. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna hold off on him simply because while I love that character, um, I think he's got like a lot to him, and that's more better to read. Then, okay. And sort of see how he comes together then too. But he's actually, he was he was on my list, but I think actually now I'm thinking about it. Uh, God, who do I want to go for? Do I want to go like goofy or serious? Because I've got some great goofy characters, but I've also got some pretty serious ones. Um, oh man, I'm trying to think of like what the... Well, I, think, like. I think, you know, it's kind of funny that Jack is one of the guys who kind of stepped in and like 
picked up some of the the classic tropes as far as he's got like the holiday character. Um, mm-hmm. He's got. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, one of my favorites is just based on the name of the character. So um, that's your uh, uh, train wreck. Um, just... <laughs> well, you know what? Let's 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 talk about Trainwreck then, because okay. I actually like Trainwreck, and actually she's a rival, and I think that will be good because to, to show an example of how a character can be a villain. Um, she and her friend, you know, she has within this sort of frenemies relationship with this young girl, with this girl. They went to high school together. They went to college together. Everybody's known people like this, and their relationship wasn't healthy, and. Um, those, but you know, Jack, but they were I think, best, I think you best. dropped out a little bit there. Can can you oh, start sorry. over again? Oh, uh, uh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Trainwreck is a character that basically is based on sort of that sort of frenemies okay. concept, where you have a character, you have two people that have known each other, they grew up together, they went to school together, and they are, you know, they're 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 best friends, but people who know them and look around on them and go, God, you know, you guys are really not actually good together. Like, you guys are actually, you, you feed on each other, one of you sort of preys on the other one, and it's a bad scenario, but, you know, you've convinced yourselves that you're buddies, and so that's what happens. And um, Trainwreck is a, is a young woman who, uh, she and her best friend, uh, who's a woman named Tara Riley, is, uh, they, you know, they've been together in school, they've been together in college, they are driving, they had a little bit too much to drink, they took some, like, designer drugs at a party that I never say what those are, because those may or may not be involved in the origin, and um, they wrap the car around a tree, and Tara dies, and uh, Kara doesn't. Um, the other, uh, the other character, and um, she gets powers from it. So now you've got massive survivor's guilt, and you've got a character who was previously the, like the the beta, you know, beta in an alpha beta relationship, who is now a superhero and a celebrity and whatever, and she just can't take it. She just can't take it. I mean, and so she does the thing that you see these child actors and these sort of people do. She pulls a Lindsay Lohan. You know, she basically pulls a, you know, Drew Barrymore, whatever. I mean, and not later cleaned herself up Drew Barrymore. And I'm talking like back in the day, which led to her cleaning herself up. And she basically ends up having this sort of, you know, just she she wants to be a superhero. She wears a costume. She has a name. Um, She has a superhero name, but, but most people call her Trainwreck because she shows up, tries to help, and something goes wrong. And every time something goes wrong, she beats herself up over it. And it just keeps the cycle going. But she, but, you know, she means well, but she's dangerous. And so she creates a sort of a complex situation for, for, for heroes. Because, you know, she's a young, attractive superheroine who actually really wants to be a hero. You know, she could be an ally. She could be a romantic interest. You know, she could be a friend. But she just can't seem to pull it together and it's kind of tragic but also simultaneously kind of frustrating and it's really sort of a lens for the heroes to ask them it's like you want to be a real you know you're a hero you're because you help people and save people but what's your attitude like are you really judgmental are you going to judge her and condemn her and try to shut her down because she's dangerous are you going to try to help her and if you try to help her there are reasons why she's this way that are beyond just she's a spoiled kid and i won't go into all those because it kind of feels like like actual spoilers Mm -hmm. but but there is a reason why she's this way that it ties to her powers and it ties to her origin. And um, also the character is left a little purposely open um, to be, you know, her, the exact origins of her powers are not defined. Her powers are defined. Her origin of how she got powers are defined. The source of the power is not defined, which is there to allow GMs to cater 
to individual players. So, you know, she could get she could have magical powers. Like maybe she awakens some sort of latent magical talent. She could be a mutant. She could be, you know, the drugs and stuff in her system and the adrenaline of nearly dying could have combined in some sort of genetic mutation, like altered human sort of origin. Uh, she could have been taken by aliens and saved and turned into something and she doesn't remember it. And the, the reason there being that, like, her character all ties into sort of like, you know, I'll, I'll, the, the characters will have sort of tactics and things that they do that make things difficult for people. And it sort of makes, uh, you know, and in many cases, it's going to be a situation of like, well, you know, he's really strong and he's got high defenses. So he attacks really hard. And he doesn't worry about taking damage. So you got to worry about these sort of accurate, really powerful attacks. Or he uses this affliction to set you up for this attack. I mean, th that's what most tactics are in a, in a game like Mutants and Masterminds. And that's great. That's how it is. Trainwreck's tactics are basically to the GM, you know, try to be helpful and screw it all up. You know, because, because that's what she's doing, you know? Like, come in and use the powers half effectively. You know, tr use them, you know, try to do something and sincerely try to do it, but have a realistically low chance of success because she's not really capable of it. She doesn't have the training. She doesn't have the willpower. Um, and so the whole thing is, and it's actually funny because Aaron mentioned about, like, watching Buffy. I was actually, the, char the concept of this character was, was a mixture of two things. I was, like, randomly surfing through the internet and, like, my, my computer hiccuped, basically, and took me, like, back to my Facebook, my, my, not my Facebook, to my, uh, my, my sort of, uh, my, my, news, my default news page, which is basically just, I've never changed it because I just never do. It's, like, the Toshiba, like, because it's a Toshiba netbook um, internet page. And right on there plastered was some story about Lindsay Lohan, and I actually, like, clicked on it because it sounded like, I was like, oh, this actually sounds vaguely interesting, um, at least in the sort of, I should be relatively aware, <laughs> somewhat aware of pop culture stuff, even if I'm not actually, even if I don't really care. I read the article, and this particular article happened to be very well written, and it sort of went through the, and again, the train wreck of her life, you know, of, like, she was a popular actress, and she did these great things, and she had a lot of potential, and then she got into drugs, and her parents started fighting over her and her money, and more fighting over her money than her, and that screwed her up further, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not saying that, you know, a character, somebody like Lohan isn't responsible for her own actions on some level, but that sparked the idea of, what if there was a superhero like this? And then I started thinking about, like, um, uh, uh, the new Phantom Lady from, and I actually no, she's probably not the new Phantom Lady anymore because they've done a reboot. But the pre-reboot, reboot, new Phantom Lady from Freedom Fighters, who you know would have these things where she was a legitimate heroine, but she'd go get drunk, she'd go to parties, she'd do things that were embarrassing. You know, she'd have a pregnancy scare with some, you know, drug dealer or whatever that she hooked up with at a party. And the the thing was, you're a hero. Why are you doing these things that are basically making you less of a hero? You obviously are putting your line, life on the line. And meanwhile, what's causing this? And how can we stop it? And if we can't stop it, then we're going to have to stop you. And that's what uh, Trainwreck basically represents that. So she's definitely, like I said, like James was saying, she's a rival. You know, not a traditional rival, like I'm going to show you up, though that might happen. Um, she's there to basically create an antagonistic um, counterpoint to your hero's actions and also give the heroes a chance to really decide what type of heroes they're going to be. I mean, are you going to do kind of a Wolverine brush off to her and tell her to grow up? Or are you going to sit down with her and try to really help her with her problems? Are you going to accidentally get embroiled in her problems? You know, are you, if you find out that she has reasons why she's this way, are you going to say, we don't care, you're just too dangerous and deal with her on that level? Because that's a fair assessment. Or you could say, you know what, you need help. And that's what heroes do, they help people. And so it's really just a matter of how Iron Age, Bronze Age, Golden Age, Silver Age you want to be with the treatment of that character. Even though the character herself is definitely set up in sort of a Bronze Age, sort of Iron Age feel. So that's basically Trainwreck in a nutshell, that she's this sort of like complex character. And her powers, I mean, I don't want to say her powers aren't important. 
Um, she's actually a psychokinetic. She's got uh, telekinetic powers. Uh, she's got like tactile psychokinesis, so kind of like Superboy had tactile telekinesis, in addition to some other sort of area effect, sort of moving objects around. And so I'm sure, you know, people listening to this who are thinking about using a character like that in their games, you can see how that can go terribly wrong. She has to have powers that can go terribly wrong. That's how her powers are important. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The powers are the part. The powers that were picked for the powers that can go wrong, like wrong in a, in a spectacular way. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and that was that was intentional too. Like at one point in an early draft, she was just sort of a power girl, super girl, super yeah. strong, super strong character, and that would have worked, and actually would have worked fine. Um, yeah. But I had a different character um, that I wanted to do who had that sort of Paragon power set, who I felt I don't say deserved is not the right word, but no, I think deser- he deserved to have be a Paragon, even though he was technically in the villains book. And well, this. There's also a long tradition of psychic powers being kind of un, uncontrollable, right. and uh, yeah. So and and it reflects well with her sort of frazzled mind, her mental state as well. Right. So thematically, it works. Exactly, and then of course that also leads to some of the reasons why she has problems. And yeah. being psychic worked way better. And honestly, I realized that if I'd made her a paragon, I would have probably done sort of like something like Gladiator and Marvel, and given her like psychically based paragon powers anyway. So yeah. at that point, I said, why don't I just give her psychokinetic powers, so she's not a psychic in the sense she's telepathic. She's a psychic in the sense she has telekinesis. And that actually, I think, worked out pretty well. And, um, you know, she's an interesting character because she is a character that I think will tell a lot about the heroes who interact with her, the PCs who interact with her. Yeah. I mean, and, I don't, and I'm not saying, and I say that in the most jud- non-judgmental way I can. Like, I mean, I completely sympathize with somebody who runs into some, like, you know, who, like, oh, you know, we're playing our game, we're having fun, and here's this, like, supposedly well-meaning 20 year old 19 20 year old who shows up and she's like drunk or she's on pills or something and she's not listening to anybody and she seems distracted and she says she's trying to help but she causes a bunch of problems and things and people get hurt i completely understand the character the the pc or the player who decides i can't stand this character and i'm going to read her the riot act and i'm just going to just lay into her and i also completely understand the character who says who talks to her afterwards and she starts breaks down crying because she feels so bad about what happens or whatever. And he says, Oh my God, there's something, you know, look, you need, like you look, you screwed up, but you clearly need help. Maybe we can help you. And of course, by like taking a character like that into your confidence or shunning a character like that, yeah. you potentially create a, a whole new level of problem for yourself yeah. because you're, you're going to have to basically get over all these problems and find a way to, help that character or you're going to turn that character into a terrible supervillain but yeah. weirdly that might not be the worst thing in the world because <laughs> you know, one one dramatically it might be really interesting but also there's the argument of if you can't watch this character 24 7 and you can't fix her like and maybe if she's a villain at least everybody knows where we stand i mean i'm not saying that it's i mean i'm not saying that it's you know good on a realism people getting hurt level, but on sort of a thematic sort of psychic level or sort of psychological level, it's like, at least I know she's gone. You know, at least I know she's gone. At least we know we can't fix her, you know? And so that's the character. So while I have characters in there that are goofy theme villains and I have characters in there that are create sort of thorny political issues. And I have characters in there that make you question like, who's the good guy, who's the bad guy in some situations. Uh, Trainwreck was the one that was sort of my psychological character of, you know, what is, how do we treat the youth? How do we treat youth? How do we treat people who are irresponsible youths? 
Do yeah. we fix them? Do we cajole them? Do we do a combination of both? What if these people now have power and influence? How do we handle that? So that's kind of a crazy, you know, it was that thing of just, that's how, it, how my brain works where it's like, you know, somehow like Lindsay Lohan and like, like the movie Jennifer's body and a couple other things all managed to combine <laughs> into combine into some weird concept for a supervillain ish character. So I never did get to see Jennifer's body. I kind of wanted to. It was, it was pretty cleverly written. It wasn't anything fantastic, but Diablo Cody is, is a hell of a screenwriter when it comes to sort of clever, sort of, you know, young person dialogue. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it is, uh, it's fun. Um, you know, I picked it up for uber cheap on Blu-ray and I enjoyed it, but it's not like, I mean, I can't tell people they're going to like it or not like it. Um, I could see why it's one of those movies that I enjoyed, but if somebody said, I just couldn't do it, I completely understand. <laughs> um, because it definitely has, it's definitely written from the perspective of like teen girls. And so if that annoys you, <laughs> you're going to be annoyed. <laughs> uh, and I think that's actually kind of what, that was also something I wanted to kind of bring to train wreck as a character. Like if you play, you play this character as like a teenage, you know, teenage, like sort of, you know, messed up teenage girl. If that annoys you, you're going to be annoyed. And if you look at that character and go, well, that's annoying as hell. But, you know, I remember being that age or I remember having problems or maybe there's something going on. Then you're going to have a different reaction to her. And so that's kind of the whole thing with her. Also, I just thought it'd be a fun character to have around. And actually, that was a character I pitched uh, a while ago for the Threat Reports. And uh, various reasons, uh, it didn't get put in there. And actually, the biggest reason why it was too similar to a couple other characters that were in Threat Reports uh, in some other themes and ways. And also, I didn't have the idea as refined as I currently do too, I do now. Um, which is the same thing with the Thespian, who's another character I did, which I won't talk about. But the Thespian were probably would have been the guy I would have talked about because um, <laughs> he's, he's awesome. But, I mean, he, he'll, he'll be fun to reveal later. So I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, let's see. I'm trying to think of uh, anything else that we need to talk about before Jeez, going I on have, the question. I have a, I have a request. Yes. We have, this, we have the Forgotten Five, and we have Six Gun coming out. and So that's why I asked about a villain team with a number seven. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well. <laughs> so, so that then I can write the Hateful Eight, and, yeah. and, and somebody else can do the Naughty Nine or something. I don't know what. The, sin, the sinful seven or something. I'll see. Yeah, if I can. exactly. And then I can do the tyrannical ten, and we can just keep on building it. <laughs> I tried to help you out. Just, the egregious just, eleven. Uh, actually, actually, um, Aaron, Aaron did pitch. Aaron did pitch a, uh, a a group of seven. So there may be there may be <laughs> there may be something in our future, but uh, I don't want to talk about it just yet because I it's haven't. gonna be like it's gonna be like twenty eighteen, and we're gonna be doing like the terrible right. twenty three. Um, <laughs> Well, that reminds it, you know that reminds me of a mystery science theater skit where they were they were making up you know they were making up a, a superhero team based on you know some some silly number and they lost count of how many characters they created and uh, they decided instead of instead of the uh, the, the the amazing ten they were going to do the the fantastic eighty five so they didn't they didn't have to keep crazy, count. crazy idiot well you know it's, we'll eventually get to the point where it'll be like the furious fifty and people are like why are they so furious because like, none of them get any screen time. Um, there's 50 of them. So there's like one guy who's like the leader who's like not quite as angry as the rest of them. The rest of them are all just super pissed. Um, <laughs> well, Aaron, I am officially in your corner on this seven product. <laughs> as long as it's not based on some sort of arbitrary aesthetic, though, that's good. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> It just, it just happens to have the number seven in there. I will say yes to anything that has seven in it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> like next, our next supplement, Do Vigilant Seven Layer Burrito. Okay. <laughs> this is Aaron Sullivan here. We're, we're, of course, oh. I trust good. Oh, that's true. I, I, tr- I, do, I do trust Aaron implicitly. He is the iron fist of my Luke Cage, so I do it. <laughs> 
<laughs> you mean the guy that pays for everything? I don't think I like that. Exactly. The guy who has to like sit there and do all the work. I just bust down the door and tell people where's my money. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. I did beat up Doctor Doom, but still, you know uh, that that is my methodology. He did owe you two hundred bucks. Exactly, and that's the thing. Do not. That is a lesson learned. Um, it is. <laughs> no. But uh, so cool, yeah, well, yeah. So those are the those are those those are the three. I mean, I don't know, James. Do you have one in particular that you really want to like talk out or tease out? I mean, well, I mean, it's it's one of these things where I, you know, I, I'm I'm contributing a couple of characters in there, but um, for the most part, you know, I, I I would probably highlight you know the basic themes. Now that we've kind of gone over some of the character examples, mm-hmm. I mean, Jack did a really good job of talking about what makes a rival in this book it's essentially a character that's not, not not dropping directly into your rogues gallery per se but somebody who is um you know got problems or or situations and um i think i think jack actually did a few more of the rivals type than yeah. most of the other players most of the other writers so far I, I i think i have one or two in my um to-do list as well but um i, I I think I think that's enough for now. Um, when we do when we do start reaching out to people for audience mm-hmm. participation on this, um, it's going to be after we've had a chance to get some of the artwork for these characters done, so people know where we're mm-hmm. going with it. Mm-hmm. And um, if I were going to bring up anything, it would be the holiday villain. Um, ah! because... oh, I love my holiday villain. Um, yeah. I, it was it was. I, I admit it was it was stupid and silly, and I adore him. Yeah, it was kind of like just like one of these off the cuff. It's like nobody's going to say yes to this, and I'm like, we must have this in our. You know, it was that's actually, by the way, listeners, that's exactly the story. I wrote this up as a this is my no. Like you put when you pitch things, you know there's a no in there somewhere, and you know that if you pitch like four things, and you're you're only going to get one, you're only three are going to be no's. And no matter how much you might like an idea. And you might actually really like an idea. You might think it's a cool idea. There is one there. You're going, there's no way in hell anybody's going for this. Uh, like, like this is the one. If they say no to one of them, it's going to be this one. And uh, that was mine. And I was like, and I thought there was a chance, but I was definitely like a, I am already thinking about cutting this guy out and doing somebody else. And to, um, to, to, to like have multiple. Jack. What was that? I said, James likes to keep you on your toes. Yeah, well, it was also they have, mul- they have actually multiple people go this guy, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's 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 what I was hoping, but I wouldn't really expect it. Um, and it was just, I mean, it was just literally like I was, I mean, I I don't want to be all like, you know, I just gave this long, super psychological reason for Trainwreck, and it, like, and that, that had a lot to do with the character, even though there were some bits that like early inspired me in a, in a less sort of evocative way. I will be completely honest that this character was. Wouldn't it be funny if we had a holiday holiday theme villain like Calendar Man or that one dude? from Mutants and Masterminds whose name is currently escaping me. Of course, but what if he was... Calen- there's also Calendar Girl from... Oh, uh, Calendar Girl, yeah. Calendar Girl. It's like, what? but what if they were only focused on one holiday? So they're even more dysfunctional and crazy. And that was literally, like, the extent. Like, there, there was nothing... And then I looked and I said, oh, well, it's gotta be blah. And that was basically the end of, you know, that was the end of it. There was no great... You know, there are definitely characters I, that I, I do. That are... I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and and list that character just because we've been okay, talking cool. about him. Yeah, the audience is going. Who are you talking? You know, about? it's it's, a, it's, appropriate, it's it's appropriate to the season. So yeah, let's talk it's about appropriate it. to the season right now. So um, I'm sorry uh, we won't get this out before Christmas, but uh, Jack, Jack said pitched the Krampus, and <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, yes, <laughs> like right there, do that. 
for, for um, those of you who don't know who the Krampus is, the Krampus is sort of like the evil companion to Santa Claus in some legends, who basically is this crazy long-tongued whip-wielding demon who basically comes in and takes like you know children, naughty children away, and he's like crazy. Uh, he was actually featured in the uh, Venture Brothers Christmas special in an incredibly funny but probably not safe for work uh, 15 minute <laughs> get. And um, uh, also, uh, Brom, uh, Joe Brom, fantastic artist uh, who also has written books, just wrote a book about the Krampus, actually, in his own sort of dark fantasy, crazy way like that he's doing. Um, I didn't actually, I'd come up with the character before I knew he was coming out of the book, but now that the book is out, I have to own it. Um, and he's basically sort of, he's a crazy, you know, like sort of dark, child-stealing, child-tormenting spirit, so of course he's German. And, um, <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm sorry, there were really only two options, right? He was German, he was Russian with that sort of background. So, and he was German. Um, and, uh, and, and that's, no, and that's no slam on the current German or Russian people, but you, you folks got some crazy legends. Um, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I'm part German too. So I feel like I think, I think, I think it was, um, the Germans have a big kind of festival around the, oh, around the time yeah. and, and don't, and, and don't they have people costuming as the Krampus parading around. There are pictures online you can find. And um, I will say that um, so I thought to be fun and make the character a little more wacky, uh, let's make the Krampus a dude in a suit who hates Christmas. And um, and then the only real sort of, I guess, deeper thing I did was, who hates something more than someone who used to love it? Because there is no one. Ever. Like, I, I truly believe this is true. There is no one who hates something more. Even, like, crazy blind hatred for people that go, like, crazy, and they might do horrible acts in the name of their hatred for something. So, what you're saying is, is he's an ex-smoker for Christmas. Yeah, I mean, basically, <laughs> he is basically a ex, like, he... He's the guy who annoyed the crap out of you at the holiday party. He's the guy <laughs> who, like, who, who has the house decorated where you're like, you know what? Too much is too much. And... Something happens around the holiday season, and then another thing happens, and then another thing happens. And in that classic Batman villain sort of thing, which is intentional, very intentional to be modeling this, he, he, his, his psyche breaks, and his, and his logic breaks, and he, so he starts to blame and identify with things based on, oh, it must be the fault of this. And he takes this crazy logic leap, and he becomes the Krampus, and he has the whip and the costume and it's like it's all gear but it's like but he's dressed like and looks like this sort of mythological character and he is there to you know fight the war on christmas and which admittedly was also sort of a rolling eyes thing about the whole war on christmas thing that gets drudged out every year it seems like and um you know basically he fights the war on christmas but the war on like you know the war on the true christmas and the true spirit of christmas is defined by whatever his crazy head thinks so, you know, it, he's actually, I mean, he's a seasonal villain, so in some level he has some limited utility, but he's the guy that I, I, I wanted to make a guy that I hope, and I truly, truly hope, that GMs will pull out and use around the holiday season, and yeah. then, like... Christmas in July. Right, well, well Christmas in July, and he freaks out about <laughs> that, because what the hell is that? Christmas is in December, and he, he, he basically has a fucking connection, and basically just goes crazy. <laughs> And, um, and I, and I, and I just, and it's like, I want to do that combined with like, but I also want a guy, I really wanted a guy who like, much like Christmas, the Krampus only comes once a year, but I want to have like, I really wanted to have the, the, somebody that I hope, I really hope that GMs who buy this book and use the characters are like, the players are like, so, so we got a Krampus episode this season, right? 
You know, it's, <laughs> it's Christmas is coming up. Like, it's okay. I don't care if it's, you know, he's, he's going to kidnap all the mall Santas and put them to work in, like, the salt mines or something, right? Isn't he? Or, or the coal mines. That could be coal mines. Um, you know, or he, because they're all naughty. Um, <laughs> or he's gonna, like, you know, he's going to, like, you know, try to assassinate, like, toy, like, toy investments where he's going to freak out by, like, you know, he's going to bomb stores that are open on Christmas. And that's the other thing, too, with this character is I wanted to make a character who could be just pure crazy goofy um but also you know if you're running an iron age game or something and you want to be super dark you can totally do like this character is crazy so he can be like that's not how i'd use him but i would but but if somebody were to like send me an email after the book comes out and said you know i had the krampus like axe murder like you know five mall santas in my dark video (laughs) i'd be like you know what that's totally cool (laughs) <laughs> it's all yours i i have i mean there are different game design theories my theory is always once it your once it's yours go nuts you are welcome and encouraged to do whatever makes your yourself and your players happy as long as nobody's getting freaked out or feeling uncomfortable you know by contrast i do wash my hands of the whole thing so if, <laughs> if you do that it's not on me but uh, actually but you actually brought up something that uh, i kind of wanted to touch on before we get too far afield again but uh the the thing i really wanted to point out about the design of this particular product um, is that instead of doing a uh, you know we, we, we made some adjustments to the layout of our usual trick I mean usually when we do characters we have a list of plot hooks after each character and mm-hmm. for this one we decided we're going to make a whole section of the book that's plot hooks because mm-hmm. we want to have the options to do um, uh, you know two villains team up, right. you know, the, and it's like, well, which character would you put that, you know, plot hook under? It's like, you know what, let's give the plot hooks their own session section. Right. So there's going to be a whole section of the book. And depending again on audience participation, that section may actually get bigger. So, well, and I think another thing too, to say about that section too, and this is something, cause I turned in my first draft for, for my part of that section is that, um, you know, this will of course get altered and tweaked. Um, you know, there might, a lot of times, I think, at least I tried to model, and I can't imagine that, you know, a guy who shares, like, you know, uh, shares nega space with Captain Marvel and, and my and, and, and my and my and my and my own personal Iron Fist is going to feel that much differently. Is um, that basically the, um, you know, the, the characters are, um, you know, like, my, my thing is like, okay, I had to pick a villain or a type of villain to start this caper, right? Like, it has to involve this guy. You know, it's like, like it's got to involve like you know the you know TikTok kid, or it's got to involve like you know Samuel, or it's got like that's who gets this thing a rolling. But then when you start to consider the logical expanse of that plot line, you start saying he could hire this guy, he could he could team up with this guy, you know, he could totally like this guy could get involved. Maybe not even as an ally. Maybe he's angry that this is going on, and he's actually trying to mess it up. And now, you know, the heroes find themselves in the middle of some sort of crazy villain turf war or whatever. And I think that that's, that's something that a book like this provides, is the ability to do those sort of capers in that sort of general, like, sort of area, which I think is very cool. Yeah, you, so, have, a, you have a larger kind of palette to deal with when you're, when you're right. putting together these ideas. You can start p- pinching characters from, from the other writers to come up with your own storylines. And exactly. uh, I love that. Um, We've also done some nifty tweaks with the uh, since since doing starting the layout with the metas book. We've started to develop the kind of metas 
meta setting, if you will, and uh, uh, you know we've we've created uh, yeah. the 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 kind of database that the meta um, personnel will be will be dealing with, and and came up with with codes that uh, will let you kind of eyeball a character yeah. and kind of grok how they work, so you can just kind of skim through. And see, well, you know, I'm looking for a character that's based on technology powers. Which one would that be? Or I'm I'm looking for mm-hmm. a character that has, you know, um, supernatural abilities. You know, I want a character that that uh, is a metahuman. And and you mm-hmm. have different, you know, I, I want somebody who's highly trained. And uh, you can you can uh, you can characters use this. dumb as a box of rocks. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But um, you know, uh, I, there's there's a lot more that we want to talk about yeah. with that. Uh, but right, I mean, right. it was it was kind of the um, that was kind of the the, the the genesis of of certain aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh, and Rick also meant wanted to mention, yeah, there is there is an evil seven person team and something you're working on, isn't there? Yeah, um, I wasn't sure if we would be allowed if if that was cleared to to bring up you know i think i think we can i mean we've we've uh we've gotten pretty far advanced on that project yet since since six gun is almost out we might as well start teasing your next uh solo outing um rick is working on a setting book for us that'll tie into um you know people who want to do cosmic games um or they just want to take their heroes from earth to you know have have a cosmic game you know Mm. or two um uh, we're still calling it Glass House, right? Yes. And uh, it's it's uh, well. Go ahead and give us the uh, the kind of rundown on the on the broad strokes of that one. Well, sure. Uh, um, it's ha- it, like you said. It's a setting book. Uh, it's got a. Uh, it's set in a undeterminate point in the future because some game masters would want to use the thousand years in the future, and some might want to have it be. 500 or whatever uh, but at some point in the future there's a galactic law enforcement agency and uh, the uh, the Sol uh, the, uh, sector like precinct is, is nicknamed the glass house because uh, it's an asteroid that was uh, it's kind of covered in this crystal material which is why it's called, which is how it got its nickname. And it, it's kind of a, a future shield kind of thing. They're, they're not like, or the science police uh, from Legion. They're, they're the, the, the normal cops who handle the normal space criminals. But when Darkseid starts uh, showing up and uh, collecting magic items and beating up the time trapper, then that's when the superheroes show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and included in that is a a, uh, a supervillain team of sorts, and uh, yeah, they have, I, I looked, and they do have seven members. Sweet! Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, oh, yeah. so they're not called uh, anything seven. The, the actual name of the, the villain team is Albedo Zero. Which, oh, you know, there. Well then, Aaron, you're clear. You're good to go yes. still. <laughs> <laughs> we call Albedo Seven, and we're all set. Uh, yeah. But no, uh, 
yeah. <laughs> so that's that actually that's sense. actually a project that I've, I'm I'm really excited about because no, I yeah, love yeah, watching. That sounds really really interesting, Rick. And that that sounds really cool. I had no idea we were working on that. Yep. Yeah. We've got uh, yeah that one that one he's working on. Um, let's see what else what else. Can we mention the kaiju cult with Pacific Rim coming out? I mean, I know we're looking at putting that out before Pacific Rim. Um, that's true. That's true. The kaiju cultists. Um, and again, we're playing with spellings there. So cult with a K. Yes, cult with a K. <laughs> because we never learn our lesson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my, my, but, my, uh, English, my English teachers hate me, but that's how it is. Yeah, um, but um, the basic uh, idea behind that was uh, seeded in, you know, Jack Jack tends to like plant the seeds of future ideas in every project he writes for us. Yeah, so I if anybody to... anybody remembers back to February this year when we released the Devilish Duos uh, Strange Attractors, that was the first ever mention of the Kaiju Cultists, and it yeah. was a throwaway reference in, in a descriptive passage, which wound up being the genesis of, of both the character Titan for the Challengers and also the uh, the kaiju cultists getting now, to be fair i was already working on titan at that point the kaiju cultists were the guys that i was gonna make to fight him because he needed giant guys to fight mm-hmm. and um and it was literally me sitting there going oh, i kind of like the name kaiju cult and then um like thinking about like the katanarchists and that sort of crazy pun that steve Kenzen came up with in the freedom city universe and spelling that with a you know and sort of like just some other bits here and there and i don't know why it just all gelled together and then i was and then james is like well you know could we could, well actually it was nathan collier editor who who sends back my manuscript to me with a comment uh which is my god when is this coming out and i was like well i never i mean i kind of thought about it you know but i hadn't really like he's like god i want this so bad i want the kaiju cult that sounds awesome so i was like okay i started thinking about it and then del toro announced pacific rim and like and i was like well i i do love giant monsters and i do love giant monster movies maybe there's a way of making this happen and um the more i thought about it the more you know it kind of came into it a real project and that actually will include in addition to the kaiju cult themselves is going to include uh giant monster rules yeah. for folks to have fun awesome. with and, and like you know basically uh you want to you want to want to see how much devastation and like you know how many city blocks your giant monster destroys or whatever uh we have sort of a little mini game and for folks who looked at strange attractors and see what i did with romance it's in that same sort of thing taking the, the uh, meet some friends rules and not trying to like feel the need to shoehorn in a whole other set of rules but take the, the tools that are already in existence and tweak them to uh to sort of like come up with something new and i think that's ultimately you know i mean just to kind of i mean i'm just pure speculation here but you know if we do start doing more sort of fate related stuff i think for folks interested in fate that's that's probably what you're going to see is is the the designer looking at something and coming up with here's a already completely fantastic rule framework that i feel no need to you know reinvent or throw out because it works just great is there a way i can turn this into this other thing and that's been sort of a, a design theory for it's been a big design thing for me because I'm actually a big fan of working with other people's stuff and then, you know, messing with it and tweaking it and turning it so that they won't talk to me anymore. But um, <laughs> but still, you know, it's a it's a thing. Um, but uh, but, you know, basically having fun with that. So, yeah, that's what Kaiju Cold is going to be. And it's also just going to be, I mean, giant monsters. Seriously. It's called the Kaiju Cult. It's got two Ks in it, and they're giant monsters. So when it comes out, I'm everybody sold. and their take mother should buy it. Yeah, exactly. Seriously, shut up and take my money. Seriously, folks. I, might, I, I, I wrote it, and I might buy a copy. So seriously, folks. <laughs> this out there. Well, for, fortunately, you don't have to because it's in your contract you get one. <laughs> <laughs> but I would be happy to take your money. But, well, you um, know, no. but uh, you know, um, 
But uh, yeah, um, so actually, that's that's a great way for folks if they want to try and you know get free copies of games. Just make sure that writer's in your contract. So every time you <laughs> <laughs> you, you write something, you get a free copy of it. <laughs> what, what, writing something is in fact a good way to get a free copy of it. I will say, uh, in certain circumstances, and this does not actually hold true for Vigilance Press or any of the other fine people I work with. Sometimes that's the best perk. Um, <laughs> oh no. Yeah, I won't go into I won't go into those stories, but it happens. No, it's, it's, um, it's true. It's true. It's true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, nobody nobody who's done this before is sitting there going, "Oh man, I can't believe you said that." They're all going, "Yeah, yeah." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, this copy I got on my shelf is really the best thing I have to show for this. Um, but uh, but that but it's not true. Of Vigilance or Margaret Weiss Productions or Green Ronin or any of the fine folks I've been working with or or White Wolf. So actually, uh, in addition to uh, Rick, I. Uh, I worked with uh, worked on White Wolf stuff. We didn't work on the same thing, so I think Rick was too busy uh, getting trained by person Captain America. But uh, I actually was. <laughs> I've only got four or five. That's I've only got, by the way, by the way, Rick, I only have four or five mo- more of those. So once I get through them, we'll be done. Uh, That's okay. Believe me, I, it's, it's not the first time. It won't be the last time. I was so disappointed. I can't believe it's not the first time. No, I'm kidding. I have no, it, it was actually kind of funny because uh, when Rick Jones first approached me, it was actually, um, if I recall correctly, it was it was uh, it was as a as a customer for the um, the Metas project. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then um, you know it didn't occur to me you know when he turned around and, and you know and approached me as 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 um, you know and, and and pitched me some stuff. Um, I, I didn't connect that he was the same guy, mm. and and it was only that second time when he started pitching stuff for the superhero project that I made the Rick Jones connection. So it was kind of funny that that when I started looking through through my uh, through my stuff when we were getting metas up and running, I'm like, oh, oh, hey, that's the same email. Smacking <laughs> myself on the forehead. <laughs> Rick, I don't know if you I, noticed, but Rom is coming back. Oh, oh yes, yeah. I, I, yeah, see, I have heard that. So you better keep an eye on the phone. <laughs> I uh, I have to admit, the first time I really sort of encountered like Rick and stuff. Like I mean, obviously, like I mean, I'd seen some stuff of his, but that he'd written before. I'd never actually put the connection together until I went back and looked at it. That happens sometimes. Like with with Aaron, for example. Like I, I was like when I, Aaron and I really first like we first were working together on projects, and I went back and said, oh wow, Aaron wrote a bunch of stuff that I really like. Um, but it wasn't you know right. It doesn't immediately come to you because there's a lot of people involved in these projects, particularly at bigger sure. companies. And um, the thing with Rick was I was sitting there going, you know, this is it's funny because it, there was a, at some point there was a shift where it went from, oh, you're named like Rick Jones, like the comic guy to now Rick is now the guy I think of first before I think of Rick Jones. And I and that and that shift actually happened while working on Marvel um, because I was working on Rick Jones's entry for Marvel. And like, I found myself, <laughs> like, yeah, that's how funny how that works. And I'm sitting there going, I, I kind of want to write something about him being a really nice guy, very talented writer, uh, you know, has a wonderful singing voice. I mean, I don't know, but basically, all those and, are in fact apply to the comic book version because he that's wrote true. A book, that's true. That's he was a singer, and he was actually a singer. Yeah. So, so, so fortunately, no one caught my error, is what we're saying. Um, 
<laughs> but, but so but so there is that but it was it was funny because at one point i was like now every time and, and again when i got the rick jones like what entries do you want to do and i'm like i actually wanted to rick jones because i have an idea for him but it's just funny because i know rick jones so that's you know so, <laughs> so let's 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 turn the conversation open a, a little bit here um if you guys still have time we've got some um, questions uh, that little, i thought would be I, some run a little short but i got a little bit of time let's 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 okay. do some stuff okay um one of the uh, uh, the topics that came up, I asked people to submit questions, and a lot of people asked about character creation um, and NPC generation, and specifically about the origins of characters. And let me actually look up, um, and uh, we can actually, uh, two of you can tie this into another question, which was about uh, data file creation for Marvel Heroic, and kind of, re- you know... Um, maybe talk about that compared to, mm-hmm. to general, you know, originally creating characters. But um, let me start with, um, let me, let me start with Aaron. Um, and uh, we'll kind of go around the table and just talk about, um, do you, how, how do you come up with origins for your characters? And I think you already talked about this with the one specific character, but uh, maybe if you have an alternate uh, approach that you also use, maybe you can talk about that. I don't have any one set approach. Um, in some cases, it'll be an idea sparked by watching a movie or reading a book. Some cases, it's oh, that's a cool name. Um, <laughs> I uh, I need to come up with something that can go with that name, or or an image, or a power set. Or I look at the way I was like, oh, that's an interesting power. Now I have to build a character around that. Um, I I I don't really have a set uh, methodology. I I don't think a lot of writers have that methodology that's whatever sparks their imagination and uh on the on the to append to that uh, that that question is from christopher from google plus who also wonders if you have a um a good formula or or means of, of generating character names um again i'm all over the board i have uh two master's degrees in english so i'm disgustingly well-read, and I just keep a notebook. Every time an idea pops up to me or I make a portmanteau of different words, I just write it down in my name book, uh, list, just list of names that I might come back to. Oh. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really weird that way. Uh, I have players who've seen my book, and they go, oh, my God, you're so weird. But uh, it's just one of the things that help. Got some some noise there. Is somebody running water? Oh, that was me. Yeah, sorry about that. Oh, it was just sorry. a brief, brief, uh, brief thing. So you might have, like, I don't tone that down or edit that out. Sorry about that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I don't That's know if okay. I can, but I'll try. I had to dump a body. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> oh, in on there. the plus, on the plus side, my internet connection is amazing all the way to the lake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, We've got. Uh, um, let, let me let me ask Rick. How's what's your approach to like character origin stories when you're trying to create somebody new? Well, it 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 sometimes I start with with the origin or the the high concept kind of defines the origin. Like you know, with TikTok, the idea of a a a steampunk clockwork robot. I'm like, well, how can I? You know, how do I get to that? Because I just started with 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 the image and then kind of wrote around to to get there. Um, sometimes it's like uh, you know I need a a 
Magneto type villain, but that isn't Magneto because you know somebody would get sued. Uh, so you know, I start <laughs> thinking about what's what's the interesting parts of Magneto, and what can you uh, what can you uh, you know the, the 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 idea of there's a little bit of hey you know he's got kind of a point even though he's doing things horrible he's kind of got a point so when you you, you start in that type you know I started with that idea of uh, uh, with actually a couple of the characters where they've they've kind of got a little bit of hey you know there's they've got a point to it and and sometimes it's just like oh well I I, I want a uh, a member of the the villain gang that was kind of discussed. So I, I started thinking about well, what would what would fit with their motif? Mm-hmm. So having 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 some place to kind of spark off of is a is a good yeah. way to do it. I mean, it's it's um you know when it when it's kind of the question that that goes back to the the question that most writers get and most of them dread is like where do you get your ideas and it's 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 you know most writers who are you know very creative and are always producing um the it's find that question difficult because their their approach is where don't i get my ideas it's 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 like i'm looking you know everywhere i'm looking every time i'm consuming something like when i'm reading a book or i'm watching tv or something I'm part of my brain is inventing, you know, part of my brain is going, well, what if this happened differently? What if I went in this other direction or what if this other character was injected into that scene? What would happen? You know, I'm, I'm constantly kind of playing this, this game in the back of my head when I'm doing, when I'm, when I'm consuming other entertainment. So, you know, that there's, there's a lot of that, that, uh, that type of stealing like an artist that goes on, you know, um, but uh, um, Jack, do you have any uh, have any good ideas to add to that? Okay, I want everybody to pay really close attention because this doesn't happen very often. All of what everyone else said, I have really nothing else to add. So, <laughs> what about Jason? <laughs> <laughs> That's such a rare occurrence that everyone should both note the time and date. And yeah. I mean, I mean, the only I mean, I could I could sit there and tell stories about how, like, you know, I studied anthropology before I went to law school, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and go on and on, and which would be referencing what Aaron said about having two master's degrees and drawing from a bunch of academic and otherwise sources. And I could go on and on about you know different things and philosophies and what the need of the campaign is. But all I'm doing right now is summing up everything everyone else has said that is completely just like exactly dead on and as james even said it is a thing that you know it's, it's almost like how do i answer that question you know it's like it's like the scene with like brody and mall rats where he asked him like you know who's your favorite superhero and he just paralyzes and goes well, how do you answer that question it's like exactly it's like how do you answer that question because there are so many elements that go into that and as a creative person i mean you can literally be walking down the street and you can go, oh, hey, and then next thing you know, you got a character idea or something. So I guess if my advice to people who are looking to make characters is don't constrain yourself to sitting down and saying, I'm going to make up a character now. Just keep yourself open for any inspiration that might seem like fun and awesome, which I guess is less of an answer of how I do it, but more just sort of advice to other people. So, 
Yeah. So yeah. Jason, so basically, Jason, do you have any advice from a more kind of scholarly approach? I mean, oh, everyone's well, touting everyone, everyone's room. touting their uh, their their scholarly history now. Yeah, we're we're in a room full of that, so I'm I'm not going to bore anybody with that. Um, <laughs> but, but you uh, you but let me. Well, this I would offer um, sort of three specific ideas. The first is, is that to me personally, I have found over the years that the name of the character has become increasingly what I hang the concept on. And I, I will, I will make, I almost always make a character based around the name first. I almost never make a character based around a power concept anymore or a cool little mechanical, uh, mechanical uh, trick of the rules. I am, I'm almost always come up with a, because I, I really love language and I, and I find a name that I find very evocative and I decide, okay, I like the way it sounds or I like the image it conjures or, it says something, and so that's what I that's what I really start with. And like Aaron, I keep a list full of these names, and I go back to them when someone like you calls me up and says, "I want you to write a book for me," and I'm like, "Okay, great! I get to use all these names I've been saving." You know, so mm-hmm. um, the second thing I would suggest is is um, think about what you want the character to say. I mean, not in terms of what it is or what he's doing from a plot perspective, but in the terms of thematically kind of what do you, what do you want? Now let's pull, think back to earlier on our podcast when we were using Trainwreck as an example because we talked about her a lot because Jack is one of the few people I have met who likes to talk more than I do. It's <laughs> <laughs> a thing. And, and uh, we, we, we talked a little bit about her psychic powers and how, and how it kind of all reflects this idea of a person who's kind of out of control. And you could pick any power out of a hat, but you pick a power that has a history of being thematically seen as out of control. So she becomes almost like Carrie, you know, the famous Stephen King movie, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you, I was you, thinking Carrie too. Yeah, yeah. And you marry that to this sort of Lindsay Lohan image and it's just perfect, you know. Well, and, and, and Jack had a, a theme he was trying to make. He was trying to portray, he was trying to say something about people who can't get their lives on track. And, and the power becomes an allegory for that. And, and this is you know, what makes superheroes so great is that they're all sort of these allegory characters. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you think about an origin for the character, make it an origin that says what you want it to say. Don't just roll on a random table. Oh, he got bitten by a radioactive bug. You know, d- make it unless you want to say something about radiation or accidents or something, you know, whatever, you, or bugs. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, the, the third, the third thing that I would, I would add finally, um, is make it human. I mean, you've got to find a way to make that character sympathetic, relatable in somehow. I mean, if that character is just numbers and uh, a silly origin story and a bunch of powers, he's got to keep your players occupied for, uh, you know, for, there's no, there's no problem with that. You can roll dice. I mean, it, it can, he can be a die rolling exercise, but if you want to get some personal satisfaction out of the artistic process, that character has to, he has to be, or she has to be sympathetic. There has to be some way that you can look at that character and you can feel, okay, yeah, like, like I think Rick was saying, like, okay, yeah, this guy's totally doing the wrong thing. I mean, he's killed, depending on which X-Men issue you've read, he's, he's killed a million people before breakfast, but, but, there's something in there that we can at least understand how he got there, you know, and he's still human. And I think that if you can, 
if you can think about these things and you know don't try to crank the character out give it some time you know and, and, and work on it and think of it as something that you're making artistically because you know it's worth it's worth the time I I will add one thing to what Jason just said because I think actually I agree with all of that um, the one thing I'll point out to folks who are listening to it's like because he kind of made the you know the reference about being bitten by a radioactive bug or whatever um, let me be honest it's like I think spider mans one of the greatest characters in fiction not yeah. just comics. Yeah. But let me but, but but let me explain. Like just to sort of clarify, not to disagree with what Jason's saying, to clarify, what makes Spider Man so amazing is everything that's not his powers. Oh no, 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 like, don't, like, don't like, mistake. Yeah, I, I wasn't saying that Spider Man's origin is, is is random. I'm saying I was saying don't use a random origin for your character. Well but I guess I guess what I'm saying though is it's like, you know, if you're coming up with a compelling, interesting character, do not feel afraid to say Look, I just kind of need a guy in my game who has, like, you know, animal powers or whatever. Like, don't worry about hand-waving that bit. But then if you're going to do that, like, really think about the character. You know, maybe he's got some sort of theme. He's got power and responsibility. He's got a, you know, he's got some element to him that is just fantastic. And that, that, that really is the part that you, you run with. And I think that well, that's, yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly sort of what, 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 uh, what Jason's saying is it's like, you need a character who's human and not every single part of that, like, because that's my other thing, too, with people asking about character creation, do not agonize over it too much. You will drive yourself crazy. <laughs> you know, come up with something, like, don't sit there and go, well, you know, he's got, like, energy blaster powers, but I really like his origin and his name and his personality. Be willing to be done with it. Be willing to say, say you know what? Then he's got energy blast powers. You know, this guy, he's funny, he's charming, the characters will like him, or the yeah. or he's annoying and he's angry and the characters will hate him. My players are going to are gonna be in, interact with this guy on a deeper level. They think he's, they, they're they going to have a lot of fun with him. It's like, don't feel like, oh my God, I have to sit there and spend a bunch of time coming up with something. And and, uh, and on the contrast, like if you've got a great personality, you may not have to define the, pers- the, the, the background nearly as much. Right, right. You could be like, you know, hey, you know what? I, he, he comes from a tragic background. I'm actually going to define that more through play. I'm going to wait to see what the players assume and talk about and do. And then I'm going to interact with them. Because yeah. honestly, in a lot of cases in comics, that was what happened. A lot of villains out there's origins were told later. And they were told later or, or adjusted later because someone, some writer said, well, you know, this character's fun because he's got fun powers. But what would make him really interesting is if he was tied somehow to this other character. And sometimes the writer always planned it. In the case of Terra and the Teen Titans, that was always planned. It was never a, there was never a moment in Marf Wolfman and George Perez's like, you know, writing of that character, writing and drawing of that character, where they didn't know she was going to be a bad a bad guy. So, you know, I'm sorry, by the way, I know it's 2020-some, 30-some years, spoiler. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh... But yeah, well, one Jack, of the things Jack that I, I like what you mentioned there was the idea that, you know, a lot of the a lot of players, you know, you, you can develop these characters through play, and, and a lot of the time, you know, when you just want to sit down and play, you're not really sure of how things will go. You know, mm-hmm. it's okay to kind of start. I mean, like you can you can roll a, a random table for their powers. I mean, actually, I really highly recommend the Quick Start Generator um, mm-hmm. for 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 sparking ideas because sometimes just having a set of powers and skills in front of you mm-hmm. makes you start thinking. Well, what kind of character would have these things, and you can right. go from there. Um, and it's actually, you know, it's not a bad way to do it. But you know, what what I think Jason and 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 Jack are both saying is that. If you want the story of the character to be compelling, 
you know, have a strong theme, you know, and Spider-Man's yeah. theme is responsibility and his, his, you know, always coming back to the burden of responsibility and, and having to shoulder that. Um, well, and, I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to speak for Aaron, but like Aaron does something very similar to what I do, which is looking to a lot of different sources for inspiration. And I mean, and I, this is more, I guess, a question for Aaron because I don't actually. We've never talked about this before. We've talked about other things. We've never talked about this. So this is the first time, everybody. Yay! Um, <laughs> is that um, you know when I think about like when I get that inspiration, whether it's like a National Geographic special or a billboard I'm walking by, in my head, there's a concept and a scene that starts to take form. You know, it's like a comic panel in my head or it's a piece of live action, you know, film or it's a, it's a lines on a page. And I guess I'm wondering for you, do, I mean, how, how does that manifest for you? Because I'm actually curious because I know we do things incredibly similar in regards to creating characters. So I'm curious how that manifests for you more as a curiosity. And this may or may, or may not be useful to viewers, but it might be. So I guess that's sort of my question, if that makes sense. Well, the so, moment I have the character in mind, I immediately just start expanding on it. I was like, who are the connections? What are the characters tied to this character? If it's a hero, one of the first things I start doing is creating a rogues gallery, creating a supporting cast, thinking of adventures that have happened in the past. And I've got all of this stuff written down and, well, most of it written down. You know, a lot of it never going to get used, but it's in my head. It's backstory that I can use when I'm thinking of the way a personality interacts or why a decision was made or how this came to pass. And, you know, I might write down when I create the character 10% of all that stuff, but the other 90% is still there in my head. Does that answer it? Oh, yeah, that does answer. And actually, that's interesting. And for folks listening, I mean, I guess I, I, I kind of want to give you guys, like, somebody who answer a question, a sincere question, answer you with a non-answer. But I kind of want to point out that, like, Aaron and I come from incredibly similar, like, where we draw our sources from. What Aaron basically just described, and he may differ with me on the exact way I'm describing it, but this is just what I'm kind of going with. He kind of basically comes up with an idea, and he builds a skeleton, and then he fleshes out the character around it. Um, I am usually making a scene or a like a moment or a snapshot in time, and then I am freezing everything and I am delving deeper and I am boring down to the skeleton of the character. Both those things actually don't not only work; they actually tend to create present fairly similar characters. I mean, I'm not saying copycat characters, but characters with similar levels of depth and plot hooks and ideas. So, you know, don't look at your process, whatever your There's, process is, somebody who might be listening to this, as wrong. Mm -hmm. You just have a different process. And that process, as long as it involves being thoughtful and thinking about your players and thinking about the PCs and thinking about yourself and thinking about what's fun for everybody and your setting and everything, you're going to be okay. You know, you're, you're going to be okay. It's going to work out all right. And, um, you know, because I, and, and actually, it's really interesting to me. I, I'd never actually talked to Aaron about his process before. And what's interesting to me about that is, is I have, because it actually leads to the, the most impressive thing about Aaron Sullivan I've ever seen. Let me just, I'm going to throw this out. Um, I mean, I love, I've all worked with, I love working with him. He's got an amazing ability to really kind of just, you know, pull the stuff out. He's easy to work with. He's got a lot of, a lot of benefits. I would say, you know, that I would, I would put forth. But Aaron at one point sent me some stuff for one of his campaigns, and he was like, hey, would you be willing to look at, give a look at it? And I kind of gave him a basic look. I, we got super busy, both of us did, and I never really got to look back on it. But the thing that just was amazing to me, and I actually kind of think to James about it at one point, because he was asking me, what do you know about Aaron Solomon? I said, I know he writes about the most interesting and engaging campaign notes of anybody I've ever seen. Um, and, and I was... 
And I was literally, because Aaron, what he's talking about doing is exactly what I saw on the page. He was like, oh, and there's this character from this Freedom City book that I thought would be really interesting, and I was thinking about using this other character that I created, but then I realized, why not just use this character because my players would be more familiar with it. And I mean, it's just, it, was, it was an amazing little snapshot, snapshot into the mental process. And I still, I mean, I will remember that for the entire time that Aaron and I like work together and know each other. When he sent me that stuff, I was bowled away by the level of involvement. And also, I admit, when he said, oh, and I'm going to use this character that you wrote for the threat report here and this character here, I was like, squee! Because it was <laughs> watching someone take something so that they put so much passion and so much thought and so much consideration into and say, this thing you did will just slide in perfectly here. And so actually like Aaron just recently gave me one of the, one of the best comments that compliments anybody's given me in a while, which was, he was talking about, you know, he's like, Oh, I have some things in my campaign and my ideas. And sometimes they're, I, mean, I don't remember the exact wording, so I may be mangling it, but it was something to the effect of, you know, there are these, there are these holes, there's these spaces or these sort of logical progressions that I need, like there's a space for. And instead of having to sit down and fill it myself, you made this thing that let me fill this in. And now it makes sense. And now that will enable me to do my own thing. And that was like, I live for shit. I live for stuff like that. <laughs> Seriously. Like that is, that is the thing. That's why when I recently made a play on Facebook, when he was on Facebook, and if you're not, I will repeat it. Feedback. You know, if you like our stuff, please tell us, tell us what you liked. Tell us what you didn't <clears> like. Tell more of, see less of, because I live for that stuff. I mean, I know gaming, the gaming industry pays millions of dollars, and I've got like you know women everywhere and five cars, but still, putting that aside for a second, I Jen love, I, I love that feedback to have people tell me. See, you see know, we're gonna have to Jen let the other writers know that that was a joke because now Aaron and Rick are both going, "Hey, wait, where's my?" No, no, I've, I've been in this long <laughs> enough. I know he's joking. Uh, yeah, they all. They, this is not. The <laughs> This is not their first rodeo. They know it's going. <laughs> um, in James your car, sorry, women... I'm sorry, Aaron. Were you trying to say something? Uh, James and I were actually talking about feedback earlier. That's uh -huh. like, and I, I think that it can't be overestimated. It's like a lot of writers. You know, we we work in isolation. We come up with ideas, but you know, they're our ideas. We don't know if they you know if they make sense, if they're worth anything when we send them out. So you know, we share them and we try to get feedback back. It's like your feedback may be, uh, I think this works better as X instead of Y. You know, that's right. that's additive to the process. It works. And mm -hmm. I like working with people that I can get feedback from. I mm -hmm. really enjoyed the round table that we did through email, uh, the group of us, when we were yep. doing uh, initial planning for uh, Rogues, Rivals, and Renegades because we were like, you know, this character is really cool, but this detail, how about you try this instead? And you look at it from an angle and you go, oh. Well, that's I hadn't looked at it that way. That that does yeah. work. That works even better. And oh, it's you know, shopping yeah. definitely helps. And and it it just it built. And that, I really that like that really came from again going back to the the schooling. Now that came back that went back to you know old creative writing classes where I just I remember I would produce so much more when we were in roundtable groups than when it was just teacher gives assignment and I go off and do it. You know, it's like when I was sitting there and we were like reading and sharing the products of our imaginations in, in, in class and we would each, you know, talk about it. And even if people were bringing in various diverse, you know, kinds of projects, like I would bring in short stories and somebody else might do poetry, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I still had a much greater 
enthusiasm for each project when it was part of a roundtable where I was actually discussing and bouncing ideas off of other people. And um, yeah. it, I was so happy to see that that, that tactic – well, I'm sorry, technique – <laughs> it's, it's either one um i i actually um will also point out to people who are more isolationist in their sort of creative process because i'll be honest a lot of times when i'm writing i will ask people feedback i'll ask people for an idea but a lot of times when i'm sitting there writing i tend to write in very fast spurts J james can attest to this yeah and so i don't have a lot of time for feedback i mean i can call james i can talk to somebody really quick and say hey you know, I have an idea, I want your feedback on it. But, like, if somebody doesn't get back to me in a relatively short period of time, I'm probably moved on. And that's not a slam, that's just a, it's just a reality. You know, and if so, somebody happens to say, hey, this is a thing, awesome. But if not, I, it's a problem I have to figure, and I'll figure it out, and I will alter as necessary later. Mm -hmm. um, but what is, but the, but the thing about sort of the roundtable discussion, and again, that's sort of the idea for folks asking how to create their own characters, talk to your players. Talk mm -hmm. about what they like. Like, even if you don't want to talk to them about the exact villain you're going to throw at them next session, ask them the things they think are cool. And if you're, and if they're your friends and you know them, and a lot of people are, I realize people sometimes go to gaming clubs and stuff, and that's great, and don't know these people very well. But assuming you know them, like, take the occasional chance. If you know somebody, like, for example, if you know a friend of yours loves horror movies about, sh like, aquatic you know, the, the, of Jaws and Deep you know, Deep Star 6 and Leviathan, a bunch of stuff, Deep Rising. And, like, yet they're not, like, so freaked out about they're going to have some sort of triggery episode quivering on the floor at your gaming table. <laughs> then throw a creepy, like, throw a creepy, like, you know, aquatic villain at them. What was, because, what was the name no, of the one from Start Report? Dakawanga? Is that... Dakawanga, yes. Well, Dakawanga yeah. uh, is also, I mean, I will tell you this, and this is like, people who look at Rug Drive Renegades when it comes out are not going to be, it's like, I, I have these things that are like, people are always like, oh, I didn't know that, and then they look at stuff I do and they go, oh, yeah. Um, interestingly enough, my status as an attorney is not one of those things. I don't know the last time I made an evil attorney or good attorney character. <laughs> um, Though sometimes when I talk about the law, people go, oh, well, that was, that was eerily precise. It's like, well, yes, it is. Um, but one of the things for me was I actually studied archaeology and anthropology for several years before I decided to go on to English and then eventually to law. And so when you see characters that are like, you know, oh, it's based off this sort of prehistoric creature, or it's based off this sort of obscure culture. I mean, I, I think you look at the threat reports, for example. And, you know, the Mutant Finance Friends Greener Own Threat Reports, I did five characters total. And there are, there's a character based off a uh, off an ancient, like, you know, ancient beast from like you know, the prehistory there's a Olmec space mummy and you know then there's like um, a, a martial artist which again if people know me I'm a huge fan of Hong Kong film it's like it wasn't the hardest thing in the world to figure out that I was those are the characters I wrote if you I, knew I think, me I think, uh, I think writers in, in the trade usually shorten that answer to write what you know Yep. Um, yeah. Isn't that the phrase that most people, most of us resort to? And, and, and if what you know is this crazy hodgepodge of stuff, you get insanity. But with luck, you get insanity with purpose. Yes. And, that, <laughs> and that's the wonderful thing that happens, which is, you know, and I love working with folks because by, by, by collaborating, by talking to people, whether it's another GM working on a campaign whose opinion you trust, or whether it's an actual other writer working in the book with you, or it's a fellow player, or it's a buddy of yours who barely knows this crazy pretend elf stuff you do, but likes <laughs> to talk about, but, but, but really likes Game of Thrones, and so he's willing to talk to you about some cool, fun, theoretical ideas. 
those are the people that help you sort of do crazy things and do and and you look at it and go wow this was made way better for the collaboration because collaboration is also a skill and if i could give one piece of advice to freelancers out there that isn't the oft repeated advice of or prospective freelancers or people that want to put out their own game if it's you know do good work and make your deadlines are the two obvious ones the other one is for god's sake be a good collaborator like yeah, easy to get along with. That's you are worth your weight in gold, literally. I mean, none of us can afford it, but you're still worth it um, <laughs> if you can be a good collaborator. I mean, you will you will literally have people who want to come up to you when they finally meet you in person and kiss you on both cheeks like some sort of Russian diplomat. I mean, because you will literally just be like, "Oh my God!" Like you know, we worked on this project and so and so was crazy and so and so threw a fit and this all broke down. But you, you were my shining light in the middle. <laughs> You know, who, who drew it all together because you were easy to get along with and you worked with me and we talked, and we communicated and we actually worked together so that if I said, how's this idea, you would literally, just, you wouldn't just sort of go, oh, it's great. And then never have actually read it or, you <laughs> or, or, oh, it's crap. But, you know, only because I would have done it differently. If you actually looked at it and said, oh, actually, I really like this part and I really like this part, but this part I'm not so sure about. Oh, well, oh, okay. That's interesting. Why is that? And it's like, okay, cool. Oh, that, I hadn't thought about that before. And, of course, it goes the other way around. You have sure, to be able- I mean, one of the things that I've noticed uh, about working with Jack is that, you know, I'll often come up with, you know, something that I perceive as, you know, may- maybe we can change this or may- maybe this could be a problem. And Jack will sit and, and we'll, we'll kind of talk it out. And sometimes I'm right, but sometimes Jack will come around and explain it to me in a way that totally changes my perspective on it. So, right. You know, as you know, it's, it's it goes both ways. Just both as a writer yeah. and as a publisher, it's it's really to my benefit to be able to listen to you guys. And 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 on the flip side, like I said, you will occasionally say, "Hey, I was thinking about this," and I was like, "Wow!" Like even if in some cases it's only a minor tweak, I'll be like, "Oh, that's so much better." Like that just works so much better. And actually, I mean, even and sometimes people don't even realize they're doing it. Like I mean, Aaron uh, Aaron turned in his draft for the latest book we've been talking about, the Renegades, Rivals, and Rogues. And um, I looked at a few bits here and there, and I was like, okay, I got to go back to my draft. And it wasn't like a, like, and it was, and I mean that in a completely positive way. Like, I was like, okay, like, I'm still confident on like 90 some percent of this stuff, but like, you know, there was one particular section or one particular character or one particular whatever. And I looked at it and I said, oh, like, that is just exactly what I wanted to do with a totally different character with a totally different concept, but that sort of, oomph is what I wanted or Rick Rick stuff had me do the same thing and so you know it's kind of that thing of like well like I'm, and so being able to do that sort of you know melding and switching and turning around and such so um, again it's like you know it's I, mean, I guess my advice to people who are thinking either of getting into the industry as some sort of freelancer or getting into the industry just by I want to play games and have a great time with my friends and put it up on a podcast or a blog or whatever is just you know be a good collaborator and be easy to work with and have fun ideas and listen to folks and I think, I think one more thing I wanted to add to what Aaron was saying earlier, this popped into my head, but I didn't have a chance to sneak it in, is one of the things about Aaron's process, the fact that he writes everything down as he goes, um, means that, that, you know, five years down the line, he's got a library of ideas that he can go back to. And, like, you know, if you're just gaming for fun, you know, that's great. It can still help you there. But if you decide somewhere along the line, hey, you know what? I'm going to try and pitch something to Green Ronin or to Vigilance Press or somebody else and see if I can't get something published. You've got this whole mine 
that you can dig into and mm-hmm. find great ideas that you had. Because I guarantee you, you go back five years and you look in there and you'll find stuff that you don't remember. Mm-hmm. Because well, you, will... create, you created it, wrote it down, and you'll come back to it and you're like, oh, you know what? I completely forgot I did that. I forgot well, I created I will... that. I can say with absolute confidence, and I'm I'm guessing. I mean, I don't know this for sure, but Aaron can confirm or deny this. But I suspect that um, I know there are characters you're going to see in Rogue Rival Renegades that I have is not the first time I thought about putting them in a project. Right. And this was the <laughs> project for them, and I mean, I, I mean, Aaron can correct me if he's wrong, but I suspect that is not the. I mean, again, just because of the incredible ease of which Aaron just developed, it's like, oh, here. Here's a dozen characters. Do you need two dozen? Do you need three dozen? You know, I kind of laughing when I say that, but but man, that was so impressive. And to know Aaron, to know that it was completely like these were not like I have a name. <laughs> these, these were like uh, uh, okay, I've got something for this. And even even what Jason was saying about I have this great name and I write it down. I know if I asked Jason for like, hey, do you have an idea? Jason would have a name, but he'd have more than a name. And that's, you know, he may not have every single thing fleshed out, but he'd have, he'd have at least a, a, a direction pushing him, you know, to go to. And, um, so anyway, sorry, I didn't really like, I, I kind of answered my own question, but like, yeah, so Aaron, I mean, seriously, am I right in that basically you just have this mental Rolodex of ideas that you just kind of threw from, drew from it to some degree? Um, you are correct. You are correct. Funny okay, story. Cool. Um, I think I probably made John think I was a little psycho at first because of this. But um, <laughs> I think he means John Lighthouser. Yes, John Lighthouser. Um, back when uh, a couple of years ago, he, he we were talking about uh, me doing some stuff, and he's like, "Well, we have this idea for these things called uh, uh, threat reports. They weren't called threat reports at the time, but that's what they eventually became." And he threw out, "He was, well, do you think this is what you'd be interested in?" And I was like, "Yeah, because that's what I love: characters, creating characters, yep. creating backstory, uh, setting ideas. You know, the story. That's what I like to create." And so I was like, great. And he was like, and he had several ideas for ones he wanted me to work on. I was like, cool. And at the end of, you know, during one of these conversations over email, he's like, uh, oh, by the way, feel free to propose characters that you might want. <laughs> and he, was like, he was like, he was like, just hit me with all the ones that you want, you know, on that. And I probably hit him with about 100 to 150 thumbnails. Wow. <laughs> just, boom. And, you know, I, I just, the reading the subtext of some of his emails after that, it was like, Holy crap! <laughs> I do. I, I, I actually had the opposite reaction, which was, I mean, not, not the opposite reaction, but I had the opposite effect. Where I probably had the hundred some ideas that Aaron had, but I just there was a moment before I started to write them up in because John had the same thing. I was like, oh, if you got some ideas, hit hit them, hit them with me because we need to fill out some chart reports. And I was like, I'm gonna send him a dozen. Like that was like, and I gave myself a limit, and I with the idea that like he's only going to accept six of them, five or six of them total. And in actuality, he actually accepted slightly more than that. But you know, due to various reasons, five is what we got. And and, and they were, and I really think they were the five strongest. Interestingly enough, they were not the five definites. Um, there were most of them were the definites. There were one or two that were a, and this quote talks about collaboration, where John said, "I really love this idea. If you can do X to fix it." And when he said that to me, I said, "Oh my." God, this character will be so much better mm-hmm. if I take his suggestion and fix that. And when I did, and I was like, I mean, that was actually Jade Spider. I mean, if anybody's looked to the, the the threat reports, my original idea for that was different, somewhat. Um, and his reasoning and stuff for everything was like, and I look back at Jade Spider now, and the 
and I barely remember what he was like before because he's so what I wanted him to be now. And, and in some cases, even analyzing what I wanted out of the character originally and saying, I mean, I actually originally had had the character briefly in a Freedom City-based campaign, and I used him as a very honorable sort of standard martial arts character, and I was always vaguely disappointed with him because he was this sort of honorable, you know, I will face you, honored foe. And I'm like, God, that's everybody. You know, that's everybody. In, that's every martial artist in comics. What, why is nobody a dick? And that was actually <laughs> how Jade Spider got born was me saying, why is nobody a dick? What if somebody was a dick? What if they had all the training and all the skills and all the ability and all of the everything, but they were a selfish ass? And not actually some. I mean, it's, it's like, I'm not saying it doesn't exist in comics and whatever, but you think about it, it's pretty rare. <laughs> and just to go with that sort of, sort of character. And, you know, that's, again, you know, subverting tropes and messing with things is really fun. You know, don't do it all the time or you're no longer subverting anything. Um, but, you know, have fun with it. Like if you, you know, it's okay to be the, you know, to say, oh, you know what? The, you know, the sexy femme fatale character in this turns out to actually be like, you know, almost revoltingly innocent. And she's being completely manipulated by somebody else. You know, doing that once works. Doing it all the time becomes an, it becomes just another trope that you're doing. But, you know, throwing those things at characters is a lot of fun. And, um, and also, you know, there's also other elements in our modern society. You know, you'd be careful about certain things. I know that when I make characters these days, I guess it would be my only other real thing I would suggest to people is I'm, a, I'm more aware of race and sexuality of characters than I was before. Mm. Um, I never make characters with the purpose of them being this is my gay character or this is my black character. In fact, I'm actually pretty hard line against that idea. Um, but I will sometimes say this character will work just fine as a woman. And that'll actually be really interesting. Why don't I make it a woman because I've made like five male characters, let's make a female character. Or I'll say, you know, this character... And, and, and the other thing will happen too, because I can also be hardline on the other way, where somebody were to say, like, there are characters that I would create, and, you know, nobody's ever asked me to. But if somebody had said, you know, well, can we make this character white? I'd be like, no, we can't. It's like, no, no, no we can't. Sorry, it's important, but it's not. I mean, actually, uh, Black Chapter, Tailspinner. It was incredibly important to me that Tailspinner wasn't white. It was incredibly important to me that a character who was a incredibly educated, incredibly erudite, incredibly, incredibly intelligent individual who was very academic was both not white, but also witty and sort of urbane in that non sort of stereotypical, like, I don't want to be like Eddie Murphy doing impression of like a black guy pretending to be white. You know, that's sort of like, you know, which was anybody that seemed like some of his old Eddie Murphy or some of these old comic skits or Chris Rock or whatever, you know what I'm talking about. You know, it's like, and I really wanted to have it be like, and then of course James mentioned, he's like, oh, this reminds me of my friend. And I'm like, great, let's do that. It's like that. Yeah, that was funny. It was kind of funny because we decided to name it after my friend, um, Jamal, who was, uh, um, who was there when I was beginning Vigilance Press and helped kind of. Uh, kit bash some of our layouts um, when I was originally looking for a layout person. He didn't have the time to really, to really do all the layout work, but he had mm -hmm. enough facility with uh, InDesign where he could kind of put something together where I could show it around and show people this is what we wanted to do. And um, 
you know, that's kind of what got, you know, Ruben on board was, was, you know, with, Mm -hmm. you know, I was able to show him like, this is what we want to do as far as our layout design. And I wanted to kind of pay tribute to Jamal by making kind of one of the more heroic characters in there, just name it after him. But one of the funny things that happened just out of synergy is I I did a very, very rough sketch of just because I was focusing on costume of what Mm -hmm. I wanted his costume to be like. And I pitched that to, um, uh, to Alex, you know, I, I showed him that, and Alex took and ma- put a lot more detail in his costume and and really set it in kind of a a, a period piece outfit. But mm-hmm. what he did a f- step further um, was the 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 character design that he did for Jamal looks so much like my friend <laughs> in real life. It was creepy. It was like, wow. I mean, it, it. I mean, he really does look like my friend Jamal. Although my friend wears glasses, so you might not be able to see it, but. You know, if he took his glasses off, he looks just like Tailspinner. Um, mm. But that was that was neither here nor there. One thing I did, uh, if you guys have time for one more round of questions, I did have yeah. one other question yeah. that I think um, might be useful to gamers and GMs especially. Players can go tune out. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> and, I'll, and I think I'll start with uh, 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 Jason and go around from him. Sure. But... Um, how much improvis- improvisation do you do when you're, I mean, like, how, when you sit down to plan a game, how much yeah. do you plan ahead, and how much do you improvise yeah. on the spot? Like, like well, when you're I'm talking about the adventure itself. I'm going to real briefly look back and, and add something to the conversation that we just got out of, because I sure. didn't have the heart to interrupt Jack. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, my ego is very fragile. Um, I try. Um <laughs> <laughs> Fred, fragile ego on an on a lawyer. That that sounds wrong. Yeah, it really does seem. I don't. My my process of character creation is nothing like any of that. <laughs> um, no, the the what I'm what I what I was all I want to get at here is is that you know we often had this idea and Jack and Aaron were talking about this a lot that they had this sort of huge backlog of ideas that they sort of reach in and pluck out the proper ones for whatever project they're looking at. I, I, um, I try. I, I, I sound like Edna Mode. You know, I, I, I never look back, darling. I, I, it distracts from the now. Um, I, uh, I, I, yeah, I make okay. a conscious. I make a real conscious effort to try to not do that. To try to not go back to characters I've used in other games or that I've invented mm. and have a spot for. I, I really try to. Like like the characters of the Forgotten Five, for example, just to pick one. None of those characters existed anywhere until I started brainstorming that project, and I and I I do this intentionally. Uh, it helps to keep my imaginative power moving. Um, mm. There's an old story that's told about Da Vinci that he was asked um, that there were a bunch of people were all submitting. Uh, proposals for a bishop who was at uh, hiring somebody to paint the inside of this church, and and the bishop comes up to Da Vinci and, and asks Da Vinci, "Have you already decided what you're going to paint?" And Da Vinci says, "I have already chosen the lacquer that I will use to cover the final painting when I'm done." And the bishop chose someone else to paint it. And when they asked the bishop, "Why did you pick Da Vinci?" the bishop said. Well, because Da Vinci has already painted the entire thing in his brain. What energy is he going to have to do it a second time for me? (laughs) 
Well, so I take this to heart and I try to never invent anything until I need it, until the right idea is there. So I'll mm -hmm. throw a bunch of names down there and I'll start thinking about what I wanted to be for that project. And then when that project is gone or those characters are gone, I, I really am very reluctant to go back and ever use them again. Now, mm. important thing for the listeners to get from here is is that everybody does it differently. You know, half an hour ago, right. Jack said, Jack said, pay attention to your process. And true words have never been spoken. Figure out what your personal process is and then do that thing. Do the hell out of it, you know, and, and make it work for you. I mean, Ernest Hemingway used to type in, in, the, in the bathtub. You know, we, we, we so we're, there is no wrong writing process. Uh, there's just your writing process. Yep. yep. Okay, so I'm going to come back around to what was the question again? <laughs> the question is, well, I, this may actually inform this informs the next question. The question, and this was actually from Jameson on the Atomic Think Tank. He yeah. wanted to know. Jackson. He wanted to know. Um, some good techniques for improving improvisational yeah. skills and for, you know, and find out, you know, from you guys, how much you improvise when yeah. you're running a game session. Like how okay. much do you, how do how, how much do you prepare before the game and how much do you just uh, come up with on the spot? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm a, um, I have found a lot of this involves player trust. Like if you're with a new group, for example, um, and maybe they, they're unfamiliar with gaming. I, I, I've been running a lot of games lately where all of my players have been brand new to gaming or they haven't played in 20 years or something. Um, and in that case, I kind of have to... Uh, they want a, a lot of easy landmarks in the roads so that they kind of know what to do. They can be sort of... you know New players can be confused. They're not really sure what to do in a game like this. What am I supposed to do? You know, that, that question. Um, but it, but the GM wants to be flexible so that whenever they do decide to do, you know how to respond to it. I guess um, a lot of my a lot of my favorite um, in, in stories and adventures have been sort of sandbox quality, where <clears throat> I have all the characters invented and I have the sort of story beats I want to get to, but I don't necessarily have decided how the players get to them. So I might have, like, like I wrote a, uh, an M&M adventure back for second edition. When second edition M&M had just come out, and I put out this big book called Escape from Alcatraz. And, yeah, and it was, I remember that. It was a lot of fun to write. And, um, and, and I, I made up this timeline of exactly what happens during the breakout because I had to plan for it. But then I said, okay, well, now you, the GM, now you've got this timeline and you have all the characters, so so now you can just let the players do whatever they want, and they can res and you can react it off of the timeline. Um, also, a really good um, way to to help your improv skills is to recruit players who are good at it. And I, I know this this sound you know, we don't always have a choice over who our players are, but I had the very good chance. Graydon, one of my good friends, my former old um, D and D DM, um, Graydon Schlichter, who might be listening. So howdy, Graydon. Graydon uh, is an actor by training, and and he's a great improv guy. And so we would play D and D, and I would just be like taking mental notes every session on how he's running that game. And he would use voices, and he would do all kinds of really cool stuff for the game. And I would be like totally in theft mode, you know. Uh, <laughs> So, and, and you can, I think that another good, 
encourage your players to improv. You know, let them know that when, when they want to try something wild, you're not hampered by the rule set. You know, it's it's a tool set. It's not wholly writ. Um, well, anyway, I've, I've talked enough. I'll let everybody else go. But but that's those are some ideas. And for those of you who are interested, uh, Escape from Alcatraz is still available um, on RPG Now. Uh, it's from TPK Productions. Yeah, that was my that was my self printing press uh, many years ago. I'm surprised. <laughs> nice. It's still- I like the I like the color artwork. Most of the uh, most of the stuff from that period, people weren't springing for the full color art. You know, uh, I um. I really wanted it to be good, and I, I got very lucky. I found a, a, a an artist who who was a longtime comics fan, and um, and I could say things like, "Okay, this guy's surrounded by Kirby dots," or do a Steranko cover, or whatever, and he knew exactly what I was talking about, um, and uh, it, it worked out very well. And I got I was very lucky. Angela Murray, a friend of mine, um, did the layout, and she did a hell of a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very pleased with it. Um, the book came out to about 80 pages, and uh, I was very, very proud of it, but it was just so much goddamn work. You know, once you've written it, then you start wondering, is it really worth it to carry it across the finish line? Yeah, so I, I, that's why now I just write stuff, and I let people like you do all the organization. All the heavy lifting? <laughs> okay. One thing I wanted to jump in with, um, kind of tag-teaming off of your, your answer to the question, yeah. as far as... Um, for me, and I'll, I guess I'll go ahead and give my answer for this one because I have my own style that works for me, but I'm a very reactive GM. Now, a lot of players or a lot of GMs kind of take take the uh, – and, and this works um, – take the, take the idea that the players are like kittens where they just kind of toddle around and bump into things that you don't expect them to, and you kind of have to funnel them through the story. <laughs> um, like herding cats, you know, kind of thing. Yes. But uh, for me, you know, when I'm running a game, my basic uh, preparation is very simple. I, I I create the characters that I believe are going to be the main NPCs as far as, like, you know, heroes, villains, most of the villains, I, you know, and, mm-hmm. I, and I try to come up with good ideas for set-piece, you know, combats where I'm going to say... You know, it'd be fun for these characters to fight the the heroes, and then I create kind of that timeline, like like Jason was saying. You know, maybe more of a, a sketched outline where I say, "Okay, this is the bad guy. <laughs> Excuse me, this is a big bad's motivation. This is this is his goal. This is you know how he plans to get to his goal." And then I go down kind of uh, a couple of ideas. I jot down a couple of ideas of how. <laughs> how each of the players can I can involve them and in, invest them in the story somehow, and I kind of make bullet points. Now, one of the things as a GM I found I have to be very flexible because we're all grown-ups now, and so <laughs> I don't necessarily know who's going to be there every weekend. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, I may have six players, I may have three, and so I kind of have to be flexible there, so I can't outline too much ahead of time, and and. You know that was something that early on, I started developing this this attitude of well I'm not going to put too much work into something that I can't run because I'm not everybody's going to be there. So I started you know paring down the amount of time I was investing in preparation 
that wouldn't pay off. So I really focused on the character creation. I really focused on kind of the broad strokes outline and kind of like, well, this is how the characters are going to get involved. And this is like a really cool scene I want to see. But everything else, I'm going to kind of let the players drive. Mm. And that's kind of just my tactic. But um, uh, let's let's go bound to Rick and see what's what's your approach, Rick. Well, it it uh, it kind of depends on on what what the kind of the goal of the campaign is. Um, when I most recently ran Eminem, uh, uh, was just after third edition came out, and the very first part of the. Uh, the Emerald City Knights thing had come out, and I had liked some pieces of that, so uh, I had a kind of a, a mass origin event, kind of like the Silver Storm, but it was different sources and stuff like that. And so some of the and some of the characters got their powers in it, and some of them didn't. Um, and I kind of with with that, I wanted to see you know the idea is all these people are getting powers. What are they going to do with it? And so I, I kind of let them drive it more. Uh, and, and one of the things that I did, uh, which for me was a throwaway, was that uh, I said, oh, well, uh, this city uh, had a superhero uh, that protected it, but uh, ten years ago he and his arch nemesis were in some big battle and no one's ever seen them since and everybody's assumed they're dead. Well, one of my players was like, well, I got to find out what happened because it can't be just that simple. <laughs> it can't just be dead. So I had to be like, oh, well, no, of course not. Well, well you'll just have to investigate that. And, you know, when, when a player sees something that they latch onto as something yeah. that they're really interested in, even yeah. if it wasn't something that I had planned on, you know, being yeah. a big plot thread, you know, that they grabbed onto it meant that, oh, well, if they're interested in this, then I really should, um, you know, play with that thread and see what, yeah. what the players want to do. But cool. I've also had campaigns where I did this, uh, it was during uh, Babylon 5's heyday, and I made a, a five-season plan for the campaign where I had like all the adventures kind of vaguely worked out before I even started and that worked well but uh, I don't think I could do that now for the same reason you said earlier that I don't you know well, our, our gaming group we have eight players but you know we'll the, which, which of the eight show up each week is, is sometimes a, a bit of a uh, 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 throw the dice. <laughs> he worked dice into the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Aaron, what's your take on it? What's your approach? Well, I learned a long time ago that it doesn't pay for me to overplan with the people that game at my table mm -hmm. because uh, the more detail and planning that I put into it, the less they'll enjoy it because they'll feel more um, let around by the nose. Yeah. So what I generally do when I'm about to run a game is I come up with an outline of story beats I want to hit, of scenes I want to see, uh, things that could lead off, and um, you know, lists of villains that I want to use or characters I want to see pop up. 
And then I just start to run from there and I react to what my players do and want. Um, I described this once to a friend of mine as I generally plan like I'm going to do the next 10 issues of the Avengers. But by the end of any one game session, I've got two guys that have done six issues of Spider-Man over here. One that's lost <laughs> and two guys that are really trying to figure out how to begin an issue of the defenders. And it's like, uh, so it doesn't help to overplan. Um, I guess like you, I'm, I've learned to be reactive to my players because I have crazy creative and crazy insane resourceful players who will go off on a tangent with a moment's notice. And I just need to be able to roll with it. Mm. So, Jack, your take on it? Well, you know, uh, like, um, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of what people have already said is, is very applicable to what I do um, in, in smaller doses or in sort of sideways or whatever. I guess the thing I could add would be, um, well, first of all, I don't, life's too short at this point in my life for me to game with anybody other than my friends. And I mean, I, and I don't slam on anybody who, like, games with people that they know through some other social medium or whatever they meet online or whatever, that's fine. And actually I encourage it because you can make friends that way and that's great. But for me, it's like, I just, I've got a lot of other stuff going on. So I game with my friends. The benefit of this is I know my friends. As I know my friends, I know what they're going to do on some level. I know how they're going to react and how they're going to go. I know what they're going to twist for shy away from. And, um, what, ultimately happens there is we have sort of a i don't want, i don't want to call it other than sort of a sort of an interplay basically between us and so a lot of the times what i would do for games is i have like an end scene and a beginning scene in mind and i have a few scenes in the middle so i might be like okay i really want the characters to all meet up and then like be starting off together to go like adventure towards this place which is going to reveal the mystery of what's going on and I want at the end of the t- and you know and I, and at the end of it I like I like the idea of them sitting there in sort of like a burning castle with their enemies around them and you know they've saved the day from this terrible threat and you know alliance have been made and broken and et cetera because that's the th- overall theme of what I want to do. Which I guess uh, to some people listening sounds really railroady. Here's the way that I try to keep it from being railroady. Um, I really don't write a lot of stuff down. I, I basically move to and from scenes and ideas based on what the characters do. And one of the things that I do, which I don't see a lot, I mean, I think people do it in different language, but this is how I do it. I spend more time thinking about what my villains and sort of the moving movers and shakers behind the scenes are going to do than I do about the plot of what's going on. Yeah. So, for example, I think a lot about, like, let's say, you know, Dr. Doom wants to take over the world. He's got a plot to take over the world. Okay, it doesn't work. You know, the heroes step in and it doesn't work. And I sit there and I go, well, what if I was Doom? Well, now these heroes are on my radar. They're a threat. They're a problem. And I want them to be gone because they're going to interfere with my next plan. And my next plan, by the way, is X because that plan deals with things that the heroes were able to deal with. In my assessment as an arrogant, you know, monarch character they can handle that less. So I'm going to do that now. Of course, that's the real trick because you don't, because you have perfect knowledge of what's on your character's character sheet or your player's character sheets. You have perfect knowledge of what's on your, your NPC's character sheets. So the trick is getting in this sort of weird headspace of like playing the villain, but not making him sort of a GM NPC and not making him 
he doesn't he doesn't have knowledge of what's going on. So you have to kind of look at it and say, okay, I know that the hero, you know, the, this this you know this annoying hero who in this case is a PC did X, Y, and Z. Okay, I'm going to account for X, Y, and Z in my next nefarious plan. It turns out that the character also has the ability of A, B, and C, but I don't know that. So I intentionally don't plan for that, which then gives the hero a chance to, you know, capitalize on that on that and triumph in a different way. Um, it, it creates a sort of weird interplay. I mean, the only way I can really explain it, I guess, is sort of through an example. Um, I ran a game of Seventh uh, Sea, which is sort of like a swashbucklery sort of, you know, crazy over the top pirate game or whatever. Uh, that John Wick designed. It's a very fun game. It's uh, mid '90s now, I believe, mid to late '90s when it came out. And um, there's a number six again. Yep. Yeah, well, there you go. And um, <laughs> and I ran um, I ran this Seven game months. and the and the first game involved like this embassy party. It involved encountering these bad guys. And at the end of it, the uh, the one my players who was was a friend of mine um, who probably I knew the least actually. He had had this crazy sword sword fight in the sewer, like in, in the underground or in the sewers, with like this this guy who killed his master, and he had had this crazy encounter, and he met this woman that was intriguing to him that he one day wanted to pursue. You know, he he identified to me that he found her interesting. Like the, she was a character that I put into the game, thinking someone would find her interesting, and he found her interesting. So all of a sudden, by doing that, she became his love interest. Whereas if it had been a different character, it would have been somebody else. And so I basically seeded the plot with sort of these like bits and pieces. And at the end of it, you know, he had this crazy thing and he looks over at me afterwards. He's like, my God, man, that was amazing. I had such a great time. This was so great. I mean, I just, I don't know how, you know, you tailored everything to me. And he's talking to me and he's raving and he looks over and he goes, are those your game notes? I'm like, yeah, those are my game notes. And there were literally like four lines on a page. And he's like, how did you, I said, I know what my characters were going to do. I know what my NPCs were going to do. I know what they were going to do. I know what the plan was. And I knew what they were going to do, their plan. And I guess the thing that keeps it from being railroady or annoying is my, the bad guys or the NPCs are going to do what they're going to do regardless of what the heroes do. Unless the heroes do something so obvious that they have, they have to compensate. So the heroes should be able to win as long as they can be more powerful, more competent, more you know, more intelligent, more witty, more whatever than the baseline assumption that the villain has. And since the villains are usually arrogant or flawed in some way, they look at somebody and say, oh, well, you know, nobody's going to be able to stop my brilliant plan. And of course, the reality is that most heroes can stop your brilliant plan. And then the next time, maybe it gets harder. The next time, maybe it gets harder. And at some point, it becomes a ultimate sort of epic confrontation where you resolve it and then you move on. So I mean, it, it, it's a it's a hard process to explain. It's actually a really hard process to explain. I've tried to explain it to people before, and it's like the sort of this weird like mini drama in my head, without actually being, with taking serious time and energy to not be railroaded. To bring is, it back around, actually, to because uh, that reminds me of some of the the I I, I just finished reading the new Fate Core um, the mm. other day. Went once I I. Yeah. got into the the Kickstarter. And one of the neat things about that book is that there are a couple of things where they call out little little what they call GM ninja tricks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um several of those are essentially this kind of letting your players drive you without realizing that they're driving the story. Yeah. Um, right. they're, they're 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 little tricks where you basically ask the players what they're looking for. 
and then you decide if it's in the scene or not. And right. um, and it's just like letting the characters kind of lead by what they're looking for helps you establish what may or may not be useful to the scene. Actually, um, yeah, actually, I have a I have a quick aside for that, which is recently in my Marvel game, we're running out a Marvel heroic game. Uh, at one point, we had um, we're playing the Avengers, we're playing the actual like like established characters in the Marvel universe, and so one of my characters is playing Black Widow, and at one point, she asked me. Well, I said, well, you know, to to, ha- to help Doctor Strange complete this ritual, you need you need something that involves X. And she's like, well, do I have anything that involves X? And I look at her and I said, I don't know. Do you? It's like I don't know. I mean, you know better than I do. You're your character. If you can come up with a plausible reason why you have something that will be beneficial to the Sorcerer Supreme to cast this ritual, I will probably let it happen. Yeah. You know, just let me know what it is. And she thought about it, and she said, you know, I think I do. And she said, how about this? And I said, that's fine. And what's interesting about it is she was a completely new player. She had never played an RPG before, before playing in my game. And within a relatively short period of time, she went from sort of the, like, oh, is this okay? Is this how the rules work? To, you know, being able to go to things like, well, could I do this instead? Like, yeah, you can totally do that. Or I would say in some cases, actually, that's really not going to work because of X, Y, and Z. And, you know, it's just a matter of, I guess, so when people say, like, how do I, how much improvisation, uh, improvisation, I can talk, really, that I do. (laughs) Um, It's a weird mix of a ton and not much. Because Um, on one hand, I am constantly improvising. Like, it is a constant improvisation of, I literally have no idea what my players are going to say next. I mean, there's some of my, there's some of the, some of the best, funniest, cleverest, wittiest people I know. And one reason I love the game with them, and they're smart, and they're and motivated, and they're having a great time. So I can't actually always predict what they're going to do from one step to the next. So my dirty secret is I don't try. Um, but on the flip side, I also know what the villains and the the you know the environment and the world is going to do, and I know who they are. And so in a lot of ways, I guess what I'm doing is kind of I'm role playing the rest of the world. Yeah. But with a constant thought in my head of these are not my players. So don't ever feel like you have to protect like the Mandarin or Doctor Doom because Hercules might punch him out because he made a mistake. It's like, no, I made a mistake based on my understanding of how the character would do something and now Hercules is gonna punch him out and this is gonna be awesome. <laughs> and that's the and that's the trick. And I think that that is like you have to love the characters you create or play because you want to deliver that passion of environment and energy, but you have to not care about them enough to not let the players step in with their characters, what they do truly love and just be the stars of the show because they are the stars of the show. It's you know, never, regardless, it's whether, it's a, whether, it's, you know, whether it's five guys sitting around a, a you know, a table in a CD bar planning a bank heist that no one else is ever going to care about in the history of the world, or it's people literally saving the world. Your PCs are the story that you're doing. So, mm-hmm. so, so, I mean, again, it, it's like, it's hard to, it's like, it, it's like one of those things that I could spend years explaining and never truly explain, or I could throw off some pithy one liner and, and somebody would get it, but everybody else would go, huh? Um, I want to pass on a story that I heard at Gen Con once. There, there was this, um, it was a murder mystery uh, scenario. And I was talking to the GM of the uh, adventure afterwards, and he said, let me tell you the secret. The first person that the players think did it, the first suspect they pick, that guy didn't do it and dies. 
The <laughs> second person that they think did it is the actual killer. Mm. He he didn't know who the actual killer was. It was right. all the player's pick. Now that's this doesn't work for all GMs. I some GMs right. are like, no, that's cheating. You know, the the but but the point was was to to have to build suspense, have a twist, and then reveal the bad guy uh, in a four hour time slot, but still give the players control over how the game went. That's, yeah, I mean, that's I think really that... interesting because I've run murder mystery games before, and a lot of times I put, you know, I've got, oh, this is the murderer, this is how they did it. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, looking back, I could have, you know, changed, you know, I could have had a, a more general sense and, and let the players decide who who actually done it. Yeah. Well, it's it's actually kind of sort of like it's not directly related, but it's semi related. Of um, in the in one of the games I was working on at one point, um, I was talking to a friend of mine who was asking me a question about a character, and I was able to give him all this backstory on a character. Yeah. And he was like, and afterwards, and he kind of knew my secret of like I'm minimal prep per session, but I have a lot large idea of what's going on. Yeah. And he pulls me aside and he goes, I gotta ask, man. How the hell do you know everything about this guy? Like, you can tell me, like, his dark secret. Like, when did he fall from being a hero to a villain? When did he do all this stuff? And when did he do all these crazy things? And, when, and who does he love and who does he hate? And you can't tell me what he's going to do next until, like, like the session. I said, B- because I know everything he's going to do. It's like, that's the trick. It's like, I know what he's going to do, so I'm reacting to the situation. I'm reacting based on what he knows and what he doesn't know. And if you're super, you know, sneaky and crazy and, you know, crazy quiet and whatever, and he doesn't understand what you're doing, he does have a main thrust sort of tactic. He's going to main, you know, business as usual. But if you can't be quiet and you can't keep it secret to a certain level, he is smart. He is going to react to that. And it's actually... um, I was going to talk about another game very, very briefly without going into a long diatribe about it. Uh, the recent game Dungeon World that came out, which is an apocalypse world from Vincent Baker's hack that's basically sort of an old school D&D. They suggest something called fronts, and one of the things that fronts are, and there's a lot of things that fronts are, I'm not going to go into a huge like multi-page discussion of what it is. But one of the things that it is, it says is, you know, come up with things that the villains are going to do if no PCs are around, and then do those things if the PCs don't stop them, until the PCs eventually stop them. I'm I'm heavily paraphrasing, but that's that is heavily influenced on how I handle games. You know, when people talk about improvisation, a lot of my improvisation is based on these things are happening, and they're going to happen unless you stop them. Oh, you didn't stop that thing, then this happens. Okay, you didn't stop that thing, then this happens. Okay, now you want to step in and stop things. Okay, well now all bets are off. But they got to that point. Like, like you ignored the warning sign from the scientist who tried to talk to you. You ignored the warning sign from the, like, police reports that you ignored because there was another thing going on. When the villain actually attacks downtown, he has actually reached a certain point in his plan. And at that point, you still have plenty of opportunities to stop him. But you could have stopped him earlier. And honestly, I mean, and, and I know it sounds negative. I don't mean to tr- take it as a negative. Honestly, if you look at most comic books... Most superheroes stop superheroes, supervillains somewhere midway through their plan. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a yeah. rare superhero who is that proactive, and if you're that proactive, it's like you're an unsung hero. Nobody knows, 
you know, most players are, and, and again, and I mean that, on, and it's so weird to say, it sounds judgmental, but it's, the reality is it actually isn't judgmental. That if a, if all your players ever do in, say, a Mutants Masterminds game is wait to the point where something's on their radar and then react to it and decisively deal with it, they're still going to be heroes. They'll still save the day, they will still do a wonderful job, and they'll have a great time, and every, everybody, and honestly, they'll probably do really a lot of good for the, sort of the setting. If they're never interested in being more proactive, if they're never interested in going after, say, the evil mega corporation that's been funding these supervillains, or they're never interested in going after, like, the evil government power behind the scenes that is, like, you know, undermining their efforts, you know, you can throw those hints out there, but as long as you don't make those hints or things integral to, quote, winning the story, then they're just things you say, okay, well, no big deal. Not a big deal. Didn't happen. Don't worry about it. We're going to go beat up Galactus because that's awesome. You know, everybody likes to beat up a guy. You know, a, a, everybody gets to beat up a 50-foot guy with a purple hat. Everybody loves that. That's what we're going to do. And, and I think that's the key with, like, you know, what we're seeing. And, and I think, if anything, with sort of gaming stuff in general, we're seeing things getting sort of, quote, you know, people talk about, oh, they're getting more intelligent, more getting more advanced. I don't think anything's necessarily more advanced than sort of the old school D&D and all that stuff in terms of sort of system fun. It's just a more of a matter of people looking at it and saying, well, maybe I'm going to consider the consequences just a little bit more. Or maybe I'm going to figure out when the adventure begins a little bit more. But that's really only, I mean, and again, I'm getting way too philosophical. I didn't mean to get that philosophical. I apologize to everybody, seriously. <laughs> um well, um, I think I think uh, let's see. I'm just checking our runtime here. We're kind of on uh, the two and a half hour mark. Um, yeah, we're getting busy. Yeah. Like, if you want to cut that bit, that would be fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I, I did want to say, if, you know, if, if if anybody needed to like go, because we had blocked out the time until eleven to record, and we're kind of hitting mm-hmm. that mark. Um, does anybody do? Do we need to call it a night, or if we have time for one more question? It's up to you guys. This Aaron, I'm going to need to beg off. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna take the opportunity to stretch if you don't mind. No, no, no. Yeah. Okay, we will call it a night here. And yeah, um, go to. Yep. But answering answering people's questions is great. I will happily yeah. join on one of those anytime. Yeah. So yeah. Um, there was one more question that I wanted to get to. Maybe we can get to it another time. It was uh, Cy Strike was asking about how much prep time you go into on the history of the world, and uh, I'll try and find oh, yeah. some, some way to make an episode about that, because I like campaign That's a big creation. question, yeah. Um, that can, Honestly, that's a big enough question. It might require a, like, a pretty episode, big episode, yeah. But, so yeah. Um, we'll try and get into some, some of those other questions some other time, but um, thanks again to everybody who wrote the questions in and, and uh, who's listening to the show. Um, I, hope, I hope you were able to... Uh, uh, sleep through all of the announcements and our pimping of our own products <laughs> to get to the real good conversation. And keep uh, that last like five minutes of me just going off. So, <laughs> seriously. Um, but I wanted to thank you guys uh, for your valuable, valuable time. Um, it's always a pleasure to have all of you on the show and uh, getting you all in one place. I mean, uh, pretty much created a nice little singularity of awesome here for me. So, <laughs> made my Damn. job real easy tonight. So, um, thank you. Oh, I. Thank oh, sorry. One more thing before we go. I have to say how awesome Matt Gandhi is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Indeed awesome. Yeah, yes. Matt Gandhi uh, is uh, 
Yeah, ex- explain who uh, Matt for, for those is. Who, for those who don't know, Matt Gandy is our editor at Margaret Weiss Productions, works on the Marvel Heroic game for Aaron and myself, and he is actually truly awesome. And uh, I sort of half-joked that I would say how awesome he was, but I actually, he is actually awesome. And uh, not only just a shout-out to Matt, yeah, not only just a shout-out to Matt, but to Nathan Collier and all the editors Taylor, out there, Taylor. my friend Michelle. Um, you are really the unsung heroes of like you know writing and game design, and nobody ever hears about you until things go terribly wrong. But uh, <laughs> you guys are awesome, and you know we we do truly appreciate you, and we hope that more people will sort of appreciate you because you're just you're you're fantastic. So there you go. That's my holiday spirit, my <laughs> holiday season charity and, uh, there. Um, and this is probably going to be our holiday podcast unless something else comes up in the next week or so. I don't mm-hmm. have any plans to record. I, 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 I was trying to schedule another beacon city podcast. Um, but with the holidays coming up and, um, finals for, for Jason, mm-hmm. it's just been way too busy to get everybody on board. So I'm going to, mm-hmm probably say that uh, we'll probably get another uh beacon city podcast um probably halfway through january um maybe maybe in the first two weeks of january i don't know i'll have to check and see what everybody else can do once uh once i get back from my holiday vacation which is coming up so um it was a real pleasure and an honor to be with everybody tonight aaron it was great to meet you thank you very much it's great, to, it's great to see yeah great to great to see everybody hope everybody has a happy holiday mm-hmm. and yes, holiday. uh et cetera, et cetera. Happy holidays to everyone, uh, Aaron, Rick, uh, Jason, and and Jack. Thank you all for joining me and uh, for giving us time and for working on all the wonderful stuff you guys are doing for Vigilance Press. So, um, and good luck to all to all your endeavors. And I hope you guys have a very wonderful holiday uh, break and uh, get to spend time with friends and family and uh, celebrate the season. And the same to everybody listening, to all of you, um, uh, on the on the expectation that I won't get to say it uh, again until next year. Happy holidays, uh, seasons greetings to everyone, and and thank you again for tuning in and and uh, supporting Vigilance Press. And uh, if you have any feedback, please feel free to leave comments on the uh, on the Vigilance Press website, on our blogs, or. Or on the uh, on the podcast blog, so um, always happy. And of course, you can friend me on Facebook or ping me on Google Plus. So, thanks again, and uh, until next year um, or next episode, if that happens first, uh, stay vigilant. Stay vigilant. Stay vigilant.